tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007, our free phone number. Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on this morning's show, an update from 12-year-old Cara Darmody from Ardfinnan on her weekly visits to Leinster House. The Taoiseach, the Tánaiste, the Attorney General and Ministers to travel for St. Patrick's Day events around the world. We'll hear some listener reaction on that. Our GP, uh, Dr. Pat Harold, will be with us. Ali visits at the Nina Food Bank. We'll be talking to Ali live from Nina in just a while. And, of course, Muriel Cuddy of Marito 8020 will be here with our health slot and also a little taste of this week's Down Your Way. You can text and WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tip today at tipfm.com. Look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. The Irish Daily Mail and their banner headline, Scrap Plan to Let Teenagers Change Gender. Ministers need to listen to doctors and not allow teenagers uh, aged under 18 to self-declare their gender without parental consent, a leading medical expert has warned. Also right across the uh, newspapers today, uh, news of the death of the beautiful Rockwell uh, Welsh, the ionic pin-up star, and uh, she has sadly passed away. To the Irish Examiner... And their main headline, uh, an Afghan asylum seeker who has taken the state to the High Court over its inability to provide him with emergency accommodation, has told how he's been attacked, robbed and racially abused while sleeping rough here. And the man has been homeless since arriving in Ireland last month and he claims in court that his rights are being breached. Also on the examiner today, vaping is the tobacco industry's coming back at governments for indoor smoking bans. That's according to Tónishta Michal Martin. And of course, Michal Martin was the health minister from 2000 to 2004, during which time the smoking ban was implemented, despite uh, very tough opposition at the time. But in a recent uh, podcast, he discussed the difficulties of establishing the smoking ban in law two decades ago, as well as its legacy. And also he's very angry at uh, the whole uh, vaping uh, culture that has developed. The Irish Independent and they're telling us that the Green Party will seek to block the introduction of a fourth €200 electricity credit this summer in crunch talks on a new cost of living package to households ahead of a key meeting of coalition leaders and senior ministers today uh, to discuss a new cost of living package to offset the impacts of inflation. The Greens will argue the rollout of any further universal support to families to offset their energy bills should be delayed until later on this year. The Irish Times leading with the story that uh, we broke on the programme yesterday. The Scottish National Party is prepared preparing for its first uh, leadership election in almost two decades after Nicola Sturgeon stunned British politics by announcing her intention to resign as party leader and Scotland's first minister yesterday. Also, this story trundles on. The former GAA star who was under investigation for alleged fraud approached a prominent Irish-American figure last month seeking help to secure a financial bailout to repay his debts. The Irish Times has uh, learned, and of course the former player 
he was not being named for legal reasons, has been accused of uh, taking large sums of money from people for specialist medical treatment for cancer. But of course, the dogs on the street uh, naming uh, the person involved. But uh, anyway, um, if you want to comment on any of that, 083 311 12 year old Art Finn and girl Cara Darmody joins us every Thursday for her Doyle uh, report. And she's spending one day a week in Leinster House in a continuation of her campaign to secure better services for families dealing with autism. She joins me now. Cara, good morning to you. Hi, Fran. Hello, Fran. How are you? I'm very well, Cara, but more importantly, how are you and how did you get on yesterday? Oh, I'm very good, Fran, and I got on really good yesterday. It was a brilliant day. But can I just quickly talk about my village, Ardfinnan? Of course I you think can. everyone has heard about that shocking burglary with those two beautiful dogs who were killed. Our village is in shock from it. These burglars have crossed the line. Big time. I want to call on anyone who knows anything about this to come forward. Do not cover for the rats who did this. It's time to rat out the rats. Thanks. Thanks, Fran. No problem. And well said. And we were speaking to the Gardaí yesterday and they're looking for all the help they can get where that dreadful, dreadful event uh, is concerned. I think, was it Richie Malloy was instrumental in bringing you into Leinster House yesterday? Yes, actually. Anyway, I had I had a massive week again and a great day yesterday in Enster House. I was brought in this week, as you said, by our, our by our amazing local county councillor Richie Malloy. Fran, I've told Richie that he is the Tom Cruise of Clobble politics, <laughs> but with a little less hair. I've also told him that he's the Muhammad Ali of county councillors, the greatest of all time. All jokes aside, Richie was great to bring me in, and our campaign for change had massive breakthrough yesterday. We had a big meeting with our independent senator, Sharon Kyogen, who was so impressed with our message that she decided to arrange for my dad and I to make a formal presentation to TDs and senators at their audio a large presentation room. Wow. All Leinster House TDs and Senators will be invited to that. And it could happen in six or seven weeks' time. Fran, there will be a massive chance for us to get our message out there big time oh, to brilliant. all of them at the same time. Mm. Well, as I am and Family Carers Ireland will support me as well. It's a massive opportunity to tell them about the three things I am consistently asking for. But again, thanks a million to Richie Malai for helping me to get this. So Richie, you are so Richie is getting a massive grade B plus this week. Well done, Richie. Your hard work is paying off. Well done, Richie, indeed. Was St. Bridget's a big talking point? Yes, uh, yeah, it really is. St. Bridget's in Carrick on Shore is getting massive attention in Enster House again this week. My old friends in the HSC are coming under big pressure to explain exactly what they have done there. The Oireachtas Committee on Public Petitions has put them under massive pressure. Our local TVs, Martin Brown, Jackie Cahill and Matty McGrath, were heavily involved with that this week. It's fantastic to see them holding the HSC to account and asking the hard questions. So all three TDs will be getting a good grade C this week. Well done, boys. Keep doing your homework on the HSE and you, you could be up to a grade B really soon. Very good indeed. What about uh, John Allen's interview with me yesterday from the Manila Hotel and uh, the huge increase in uh, energy costs there? Is that is that something that uh, concerns you, Cara? Oh, yes, Fran. I was actually listening to some of your interview. So to some of your interview yesterday mm. with John Allen about the cost of bills. So I decided to ask my confidential sources in Leinster House about the cost of the bills up there. Hold on to your seat, Fran, because this will shock you. One year ago in December 2021, the ESB bill for Leinster House was about 36,000 euros. Fran, it's now 114,000 euros for one Whoa. month. 
three wow. times more. But the difference is that the taxpayer will foot that bill. All of our families have to pay our own. The cost of living crisis is being talked about in Leinster House all of the time now. The talk is that there will be another big package to come in a few months' time, but no one knows yet exactly when or what will be in it. For sure, yeah. Have you more grades for me, uh, Cara? Yes, actually, but I'll only have time to grade some of the ministers today. Mm-hmm. So here it goes. Eamon Ryan, Minister for Climate and Transport. France, I see him cycling into Leinster House every time. I think he means well with the whole green issues, but I don't think he gets what it's like to live in the countryside. I don't think people in South Tipperary really get his message. He gets a very average grade D. Dara O'Brien, Minister for Housing. Fran, housing is a disaster. Full stop. Ireland is now in the bottom third in the EU for home ownership. Many are saying that housing is the biggest issue out there. I don't see the kind of action needed to turn this around, so unfortunately, the Minister gets a poor grade S. Catherine Martin, Minister for Sport and Tourism. Fran, I think she's been missing in action a lot. I was going to ring the Guardian at one point now. Poor George, a missing person. <laughs> this week's big sports story was Katie Taylor and the Crow Park mess. But where was the minister? I think she should have stepped in and showed leadership here. Sorry, minister, but you've got to be seen to back up our national icon, Katie. So she gets a poor grade E here. Ooh. Simon Harris. Minister for Justice, very positive start in justice, trying to bring in guard of body cameras and also trying to tackle domestic violence. He always comes across as strong when on TV. Overall, he gets a positive grade C. Well done, Minister. Good start. Pascal Donahue, Minister for Public Expenditure. Not a good start in 2023 for him. Poster Gates damaged his reputation. He's also been out of the media recently. He's still seen as a safe pair of hands, though. Looks like he'll do better as the year goes on. For now, he scrapes over the line with a bare pass, so he gets the grade D. Roderick O'Garman, Minister for Children, Equality and Disability. Fran, this is a disgrace. Family Cares Ireland were recently in front of a doll committee saying they couldn't get an urgent meeting with this minister. They had to ask the doll committee to write to him to force that meeting. It's not good enough. Good minister job. O'Gorman also told a UN convention in January that Ireland needed to do more for children and adults with disabilities. What? You're the minister in charge. The book stops with you. So unfortunately, the minister gets a bad grade S. He needs to start meeting the likes of Family Care Ireland or otherwise he'll end up as the dunce at the back of the class. I'll have, more, I'll have more gossip, grading and action from Leinster House next week. See you in the next cartoon. We'll talk, we'll talk to you next week, Cara. My best to your family. Thank, Thank you. you. Good morning to you, Dose. Bye-bye now. That's uh, Cara Darmody there with her Leinster House uh, report. Uh, 12 years of age and uh, she's really putting it up there. She's putting it uh, to them in uh, the uh, government buildings. How do you feel about that? 1800 938 007. Back in just a moment. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie when I was having a look at uh, the headlines in the newspapers today, I read from the Irish Indo that the Green Party will seek to block the introduction of a fourth €200 Euro electricity credit this summer uh, in uh, crunch talks there on the new cost of living package for households. But uh, Thomas was on to us and he says it's Eamon Ryan uh, off his head to block another credit. 
And he goes on to be rather caustic indeed about uh, Mr. Ryan or Minister Ryan. And he says, can I kick him up the backside like uh, Father Ted did to Bishop Brennan? Um, In fairness, I suppose I should make the further argument that the Greens are making and uh, Eamon Ryan saying that the most vulnerable families should be prioritised for support in the coming weeks through the existing social welfare system. Um, And, you know, the point that he's making is that if you have a general sort of a €200 electricity credit, everybody gets it, including uh, people who are extremely well off. And he thinks something focused, such as extra fuel allowances, payments and increases in the working family payment um, are likely to feature as part of his uh, discussions. And he says that uh, the Green position is that it would make sense for the coalition to wait until the autumn and winter to roll out further universal energy supports to households when utility bills are likely to be higher. So that's his argument. I'm not sure if you agree or disagree uh, with that, but just to uh, to be fair, we had to make that point. Now, I'm glad to be joined by a gentleman who has contributed to the programme for the last few years, John Harney of a wonderful pub, Harney's Final Furlong. Uh, good morning to you, John. Morning, Fran. Uh, good to talk to you today. John, your comments sort of set me back a little bit because you're speaking about a, a hopelessness around the place. Yeah, I was I was listening to my friend John Allen, who I know for over 50 years on the radio yesterday, and he, he felt completely marooned from what's going on. But that general feeling is starting to spread around the place. And even last weekend, you could hear lads talking about ESB bills, oil bills, um, the refugees coming in is a huge thing. All the conversations now has been taken up in kind of a, what's the word, a depressing environment. Right, so it's negative stuff a lot of the time, John. Well, the big issue that I... From, from listening, the big issue is nobody knows who to vote for. If there's a general election tomorrow, the general consensus is they're so politicians are so far removed from what's going on and how people feel that they don't know who to vote for. That's very interesting. And is that pretty much right across the board, even from people who would have had an allegiance to certain political parties over the years, John? Is that definitely, quite... Definitely, yeah, yeah. Definitely. You know, that that would include myself, you know. Yeah. Um, I've been involved with the Fianna Fáil party years ago. I, I just won't get into it now. But I'm just saying that we'll say John Allen came out as a businessman, but there's loads of business people across the county that are in the same boat and there's loads of people had to walk away from businesses that they were in and didn't say anything and closed the door having put effort in for years and years and you just you just have to look at places around like the centre of Clanmelon is unbelievable Carrick is the same way Care is heading that way and people don't seem to talk about it at all Tipperary the same so all the towns are suffering in that these smaller Middle, middle-sized businesses are just folding up, and and uh, it's interesting the point you're making, John, that people are quietly walking away. They have no choice. Yeah, they, they have no choice. They turn the key. I had a premises in the centre of Clanmel, there beside Jerry Chalks. I saw it last year. There's housing going into it, or this uh, person who bought it is putting in the apartment. 
But like that was rated on the same valuation as Eason's. For for rates. For rates. My God. And I, I explained to him that in Upper Gladstone Street, every business was closed, barred the shop on the corner. Uh, I think he—I can't remember what he does, but mm. uh, lighting, I think he does. Mm. But um, every other business was closed in the street, and he said it makes no difference. You're in that zone; you pay top rate. Yeah, and sure, you see the market square there as well, the marketplace uh, completely empty at this point. You know. Yeah, but it's it's happening. If you take care of. Uh, is it Castle Pub is closed the, the public hospital the, from uh, Castle there Jason Mars mm. your Verwin's closed the Lazy Bean has closed the Bank of Ireland has closed Fleury's Antiques where the old Earl of Glengall was is gone the Galti Hotel is it the Galti Hotel mm. yeah, yeah. Uh, now you have some great you have some great pubs you have Morrissey's you have uh, Huey's mm. You have a, a new pub opened up there recently in new France pub as well. New pub too is after opening as well. But what I'm saying is if a tourist walks down Care, uh, where we don't see it because we're driving through it every day and we're used to it, they see what we're seeing in Clanmel. But give Care another few years and if they don't mind themselves to be in the same position as Clanmel. And do you find, John, because I certainly find this, there's almost an acceptance now of this that, you know, town centres are in a state of change, big time. And the notion of the little family businesses or the smaller family businesses, their time is up. Possibly. What we'll say in the general consensus is that there's nothing anybody can do. There's nothing... I can't do anything about my ESB bill rate trebling. I spoke to a fellow last week who was in a call centre. And there's no point in fighting with him. He's only, he's gone in doing his job trying to earn the wage the same as everybody. So there's no... We we depend on the politicians to kind of keep things straight. Mm. And they have no interest in listening to what's being said. And that's across the board. Like, I, if I mentioned Eamon Ryan in the pub, I don't have to mention his name and the whole place to go bananas. I, I, and he's the only politician who was elected on the first count in government at the moment. That's interesting, isn't it? So, obviously, he has some plans. But, but, but it's in an urban area, of course. It's in Dublin, yeah. Yeah, but like, but like John's point yesterday, that um, the small man has been hit. The small man is the fa- man that's working in a factory as well, the fellow who's driving a lorry. We're all small men in the general consensus. And it's, it's certainly with the ESB bills, as far as I can see, the fuel bills, everybody has been hit. Yeah, and I mean, John is a huge... I, I don't like talking about him when he's not here, but I mean, John is a hugely successful business. That that business is known far and wide, you know? And if he's saying that some of what's happening could be close your door time, I mean, we really need to sit up and take notice. Well, I, I, I'm friends with John for 55 years. And I remember when he took over the hotel from his dad. Yeah. And lots of people still talk about the barbecue nights in Manila. Amazing, yeah. The Fury Brothers, Jim McCann, yeah. all the top stars, great nights. And every shilling he made, he put back into the hotel. He's established himself in the bloodstock industry. Yeah. Top-class trainer, brought off a feet with the Grand National and the Gold Cup that will probably never be matched. So he's a long way from being a, a gumbean. Mm. Mm. And he's there and he walks around at the clock. And he's saying, this is what's happening. 
But it's, it's happening at every level. It's happening for the lad who's driving the truck and coming home, working hard all week, and he's scratching his head too, saying, what's it all about? In the village in the last 12 months, 22 people have celebrated in my pub that they're going off to Australia. And this is in Clarehan, which is a that's relatively small area. Yeah. yeah, that's in Clarehan. And to be honest, every one of them, you'd have to shake your hands with them and say, you're 100% right. And that the strange thing about this time, John, is this isn't because of lack of jobs. It's just lack of opportunity to buy your home, uh, lack of opportunity it's, to get on, I suppose. It's just the future. It, it, yeah. There's no... Like, if you could see a small bit of light at the end of the tunnel, people would stay. But these lads are... Like, you talk to the young people. You, you know as well, Frank, you're travelling the country. There's, they're just disillusioned. And the older people are the same way. They, they're just shaking their heads at what's going on. You know, I was out in Kilmanahan years ago at Wolf Tones, and I said to a fellow, would he give us two of us a lift in? He said, I can't fit you in the car. He didn't say, I'll put you on top of the roof and one of you in the boat. Mm-hmm. But, but the government seem, are saying, well, we just have to keep taking the refugees. And it's a great cause, and everybody understands it. Mm. But if we're full, we're full. Like, you can't put more water in the jug if it's full. Like, it, it's... And and people believe that around the place. People I hear, you know... And I listen to the lads that support the Greens as well. There's not too many of them. Mm. But, like, a very good friend of mine, Connie, is into the Greens, and I listen to him. And their targets are probably... Maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. But at this present time, I think you have to... You, you have to try and get through the storm. But I've never seen it as as widespread, the effect that it's having. I spoke to a man uh, last Thursday who was in, and he'd be fairly, well, in a fairly big business. And I said, are you busy? And he said, we are, but we're making no money. And I'm talking about a big employer. He'd have and that's because of costs, John, cost, is it? Yeah. 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 And like, so something has to be done, you know, the we heard the price of electricity has dropped. Hmm. Mine has trebled in a month. For the, for the month of January, I suppose, is it? From Sorry, from December, uh, they said there was going to be an increase. Uh, so I, I went from an increase in November, an increase in December, and then I got an increase in January because I changed the type of units I had in the pub. So I've had three increases, which I'm appealing at the moment. But you can't, there's no way of appealing. The, the I was just going to ask you about that. Is there some sort of a way, is there a machine that you can um, well, appeal in some way? I've appealed. My appeal has gone into the ESB. There is a kind of a regulator, but he's not, he's more watching the companies than he is for the customer. Right. And what he says in his remit is that they must be allowed to retain a certain amount of profits for reinvestment. So they'll just say, we made 700 million, so we need to keep 600 million of that for reinvestment. And there's nothing he can do. Uh, and John, of course, was talking about gas yesterday, and I was just reading this morning, John, that uh, Board Gosh saw its profits head to 3.5 billion last year. Yeah, yeah. 3.5 Now, no, that, I, that happens to be British-owned. <laughs> yeah, I had to put up the price of my pint. 
right to Fiverr, point of Guinness. And the reason why I had to do that is because my costs were gone up. I had, I had no choice. And people accept that. But the problem is, you see, I'm not paying the increases. My customers are paying the increases. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going down the whole way. Like, that, that tax, that windfall tax, a fellow was saying to me the other night, and he was right. He said, the electric companies aren't paying any windfall tax. Yeah. It's the customers are paying it. Yeah, of course. And so it's the fellow at the end of the chain that's getting hit the whole time. And I think with, with my customers, they're starting to feel it from all sides as well, including from me. What about the 9%? Because it, I, I, I'm not too hopeful about that, John. No, I think that's gone. Yeah, I that's, think so that's too. Gone. Yeah. And I, I think, um, like, John John is right. Uh, hotels in Dublin, because Dublin is flying, you can't get into a restaurant, you can't get into a pub. The hotels are really busy. Uh, that's where the action is. And that's where all this is based on. So it's going, I, I can't see him holding it at 9%. Yeah. But we can't. We can't run our businesses dependent on handouts from the government because if we do that, the government are in complete control. And is that the way it is now? Well, I, it, it's, it kind of looks that way. Like with, with Guinness, when they put up the price of a pint, uh, price of a barrel, and people said, oh, you're putting it up more than Guinness and all this, we weren't. our costs across the board had gone up. The part we put it up was justifiable. But Guinness could turn around next week and say, listen, that's the energy costs have gone up, so up you go again. Right. And if a pint of Guinness goes over a fiver where you no longer get two for a tenner, that's that's an issue, isn't it? Yeah, the only thing was, I remember years ago when I, when I used to drink and, and I remember we said we'd follow it to ten shillings. <laughs> it went over it. And we're all in the pub the next day. I'm not saying that that's the way today, but that's just my own experience. I know, yeah. You know, uh, yeah, so, I, I remember. But it's just a pity uh, that there's just it's such a disconnect and people are scratching their heads and they haven't, there's no solution for them. There's no party, there's no politician. The independents do, in fairness, they do come out. And uh, we were talking uh, last week too about the independents. The office, Morris, is it from Roscommon? Mm-hmm. He, he's an agricultural contractor very successful one. Danny Ely Ray, who, listening to him, you wouldn't send to the shop for sweets. He made 1.4 mil, million last year. And with, it wasn't with on his own council, business, yeah. With his own business. Yeah. It wasn't on county council contracts. Mm. Um, Michael Lowry is a very successful businessman with huge profits every year. Uh, Matty McGrath, successful businessman as well. All these lads are employing people and making money. Like, they, they know how to do it. So, but they don't seem to be able to pull together for some reason. They're not able to uh, kind of... Right. And, and the while they can speak up in the Doyle at, at certain times, uh, speaking times, um, it's fine, but it's really the government that are making the decisions. So that's where it is. And are you not in a position, uh, John, to draw down funding from the government to help out? Because there's funding available, isn't there, uh, for you get energy 40, costs and that? You get 40% of the increase on your... your uh, ESB. Mm. Now, it, it is it only on ESB? Uh, there's a debate over the gas at the moment. I'm not sure how right. that works. There's a question mark over that, and I think one of the problems was with the gas that maybe 
uh, you could be using the gas in the house and claiming it for the pub or whatever. Okay. Or, right. I'm not sure, but I think there's an issue for that. But that's that's fine, but that's not a solution. It's, it's certainly not a long-term solution because no, the, that and, will stop too. And we have to say like, oh, thank you very much. And it is appreciated, but that's not the solution. Bring down the price of gas. Right. And because that's available to people like yourself, does it stop people from speaking out, I suppose, John? It's, 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 uh, it's the same as the COVID payments at the time. Everybody closed because... It, Republicans were put in the position that it made more sense to be closed than to be open. Mm. If they were going to, if they were getting paid at the, their full turnover, a percentage plus three hundred and fifty a week, if they opened and they only did forty percent of the business, they wouldn't have made the same money. Mm. So uh, it was hush money. That's what it was. Now it, it didn't hush you, and you made national headlines, and indeed you were kind enough to speak to us. I think first, in fact, um, but. Are you, do, you, do you look back at that with regret and was that damaging to you? Uh, was it damaging? I don't think it was damaging. Like, I think a lot of people understood what I was saying. I, I only argued for nine euro meat, you know. And at the time, there was lots of stuff went on. Like, there was a, a, a building site above Manus Revan where there was something like 4,000 lads working and some of them come down from the north. And there was a house being built between Clara and Noah's Green. There's five well, we, well, we don't, we, we, yeah, we, we don't want to go into specifics on it. But uh, you're saying to me there were other, other places and other other events that were questionable. Is that is that what you mean? I, I just questioned it, and I didn't accept that the difference of uh, having a meal and not having a meal. Yeah. I, I didn't that, that I couldn't sit with that, and I, I honestly thought at the time when I went that loads of publicans would have agreed with me. Uh, some of them did agree but they didn't come out and say it mm. others just felt like your imagine should be taking the money mm. you know so it was hush money as well you know it's interesting any light at the end of the tunnel John? Uh, it's hard to see it it's hard to see it at the minute I, I'm not sure where it's going to go like these big companies are making lots and lots of money shareholders are getting dividends um, it's very hard to see we don't seem to be able to control it because we're not over our own mm. our own destiny now the one thing that I did read in fairness to Eamon Ryan whether he's, if he's right he said that in seven years time we'll be exporting electricity to Europe mm. this is with the uh, off, offshore, uh, offshore investment isn't that it now, yeah. if, if that's true but because our prices are linked to the European Union uh, it means that we won't benefit from that. Yeah. John? So it's, it's a bit, I'm sorry, every time I come on, it's a bit bleak. I know, but what I mean, you're that? telling it as it is. And I mean, in your position behind a counter, you're hearing what ordinary people are saying, John. And I think that's vital. You know, it's vital for yeah, us to make those is, points. The fun is kind of going. You have, you have fun on a Saturday night. We have music and people enjoy themselves. But on the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday nights, where you're dealing with the nitty gritty and lads are having chats. And the fanfare is gone. Uh, I think people who know what I'm talking about when right. you sit down and have a cup of tea with somebody in a straight chat. Underneath all this stuff, like, is people are really just battered from this carry on. Well, I must say, it would be my own experience, as you know, I'm in the entertainment business as well, and I have a lot of chats and conversations with people, and largely I would hear just what you're, what you're saying. 
that yeah, it's, yeah. it's difficult. You know, it's difficult for people. John, it's always good to talk to you. You look after Thanks, yourself, John. and thank you. You too. Thanks, thank bye. you. That's John Harney there from the. Uh, fantastic Bob. In fact, Harney's final furlong in Clarehan, 1800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie I'll be joined now by our GP, Dr. Pat Harold in Nina. Good morning to you, Pat. Good morning, Fred. Good to talk to you today. I love the research that goes into your um, your slot, Pat. It just says, Dr. Pat Harold, feet. Feet, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what have you to say to us about feet, Pat? Oh, well, I've had a lot of people in lately with feet problems, and right. I thought we'd talk about it. Well, there's two aspects to it, really, Fran. One is a lot of people who have diabetes um, have been... I've been seeing their doctor regularly now. There's there's a new initiative called the Chronic Disease Management. Mm. So anybody who comes in and they're asked to take off their shoes and socks and we look at their feet, why are, why are we doing that at all? Um, the diabetic foot is um, something you really want to worry about and anybody who's been diagnosed with um, diabetes has to have um, their feet looked at regularly. And mm. Because what happens is you're, you're at risk of all kinds of things with your, with your feet with diabetes because um, the, the perfusion isn't as good, the blood supply isn't as good and the nerves can suffer. So what we do is we go and we look at the feet to make sure there's no um, nothing, nothing too dodgy um, and um, it, it can be, if you're older too, it's very difficult to cut your own toenails, mm. you know, to reach down and do it. So they, you know, I have known people actually go at their toenails with the bread knife, which sounds oh, completely, I know. But often, you know, they find it very difficult. They cut themselves and things like that. And that can turn into a diabetic ulcer. And um, an ulcer is um, is very bad news because mm. they could lose the toes because mm. the blood supply isn't good. And also the other thing is you get you test vibration. So you get a tuning fork. And this generally gives people a great laugh because you whack the tuning fork or something and you push it on the feet and you see do they feel the vibration and how far down they can feel it mm. because that's the first thing to go with the nerves so um, with with a diabetic foot you, and you can have nerve damage you can have kind of burning feet or you can have um, you can have numb feet mm. and if you have the numb feet and bad toenails and bad feet and um, that's why you can get the ulcer and you don't feel it and you look down and you see it and often you know I mean the, the really bad thing is if it gets out you could lose the foot but even if you lose a few toes your balance is badly compromised so that means that you're in more danger of falling and your independence is um, it's kind of a domino effect for, mm. for you know you hit the you hit a domino and a load of other things go up so you, you would want to take the diabetic quite seriously and um, either get a podiatrist or a community podiatrist out there um, and but if you have a few bob at all one of the best things you could do with your money is go to a chiropodist or a podiatrist somewhere and um, get them to take care of all those toes and corns and mm. you know bunions and all this sort of stuff that can all lead to ulcers and problems with the foot but you're also more likely to get plantar fasciitis and I've seen a load of that lately Right, what, and, ju- uh, just to remind people what exactly that is Pat? Well fasciitis is um, you're in the bed and you're feeling grand and you get down and you walk on the floor and the bottom of your foot sort of around the, the, the heel area mm. starts hurting like blazes and if you exercise it kind of wears off and then you sit down for a while and you get up again and it's like walking on, on, um, on hot coals or mm. something and that's because there's a thing called the plantar fascia 
and the plantar fascia is um, it's, it's, it's sort of a membrane at the bottom of your foot. It looks exactly like canvas and that gets inflamed. Mm. Now, people, it, it, it's happening a lot at the moment because a lot of people are walking and running on the roads because they're getting out in the evenings and things like that and that's absolutely great. And they're watching Operation Transformation mm. doing the 5Ks and this is really good. But if you're a bit overweight or funny enough, if you have a high arched foot with a nice shape to it, you're a bit more likely to get this or indeed if you have our old friend diabetes. So your your foot becomes kind of inflamed things and, and it's all down to physiotherapy. Mm. Um, we very rarely would look for um, any kind of investigations People often think it's to do with the heel spur. And the heel spur is a kind of a little bone at the back of your foot. It's supposed to be a bit like a cox, um, mm. a, you know, a, a cox kind of a, I don't know what you call it, spur. Mm. You know? yes. um, and, um, but it, it, the heel, but, you know, you can have those and have no symptoms or you can have awful symptoms and no, no heel spur. So I wouldn't really worry too much about that one. But um, it's, it's um, but it, that's exercises. And the most important thing you can do is stretch out your foot before you get out of the bed at all and physiotherapists can show you um, exercises for plantar fasciitis or you can look them up online there's there's great stuff in YouTube but be careful who you're looking at that they're not trying to sell you some mad thing right. you know well, if it's well, somebody that, sort of you know somebody from Harvard or Oxford or somewhere is generally a fairly good bet right. you know everybody's trying to sell you something at the, at the moment um, if there's discoloration Pat because I've, I've seen that quite often uh, on the feet or up into the ankles what what is that uh, indicating? be a few things funnily enough your feet can actually get rusty yeah. um you're you've got if you've got varicose veins um they leak um they're like a blocked gutter mm. in a house you know when they get blocked fully and they actually leak blood into the surrounding tissues and because there's iron in your blood um the iron goes brown and rusty so it looks exactly like rust mm. and um that makes the skin very, very um, dry and that can ulcerate as well. So older people in general, and I suppose I go, this show older people is anyone older than you and me, Fran, you know, should, sure. should get a good big tub of emulsify anointment for about two or three euro, I think, in, mm. from the chemist and just rub it all over your feet every night and that will keep your skin lovely and moist and it won't break down. Hmm. So you just want a good sort of a rub of emulsifying ointment every great, especially if your feet are anyway dry. But um, yeah, discoloration could be a few things too. It could be um, well, across the list, but it, it, it's not 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 generally a good sign. Right. Okay. And uh, can you can you get rid of that discoloration, Pat? Or are you? Well, with the rust staining, you're kind of left with it. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it kind of you can't you can't really. I suppose. I, I suppose if you're if you're a professional model or something, you could probably get it lasered away or something. Mm. But most people don't bother. Yeah, yeah for mm. sure. Um, it, it's it's very interesting. You know, there was a neighbour of ours uh, long passed away, but he always uh, said that oh, if something happens with the big toe, you better watch out. He was obsessed with something happening with the big toe because he saw how dangerous it could be. And I suppose he was referring to diabetes. Well, he was probably also referring to balance. You know, yeah. your balance is very important. Like one of the things that you get on is very important is to be able to stand up on your own. If you can get out of a chair unaided, you're more or less independent. So it's something, you, you know, you could start practicing, you know, actually stand up and sit down yeah. a good few times because that gives you that strength in the calves and, and the buttock muscles and things like that that keep your independence. I remember 
I was at Chris Christopherson one time. He says, the first thing to go is your legs. <laughs> now, the same man was well into his 80s. He stood up with a big guitar all night playing. But, yeah. he, but he, he did have a point because if you've got your legs, you've got your independence. Of course, you know, and they're yeah. well, well worth looking after and your feet are well worth looking after. Um, and I'm not saying don't exercise, but, you know, you see that kind of thing and every time you step on the ground and you feel sore you don't feel like doing anything and yeah. you know it, the less you do the less you feel like doing and if you lose a bit of conditioning every day you know you can't you can't um, you're, you're you know, try to do everything every day that you could do the day before, if you know what I mean, and don't sort of lose. Of course, yeah. I would imagine, as usual with medical conditions, that women are better to look after their feet because they might be looking at them from a cosmetic point of view as well, as opposed to fellas who couldn't give a hoot, I suppose. Mm, well, you don't. Fellas, no, they, they, they get a lot who wore nothing except Wellington. <laughs> yes. And I, the thing about fellas washing one foot going to the doctor and then you want to look for the other in comparison and say, I didn't wash that. That is, that is so true. Yes. You know, that's, I, that's happened. I wouldn't even remark in it. But, um, <laughs> but, but, but women do um, have done awful damage to their feet with um, high heel shoes. Right. You know, and... And would you um, see that, Pat? You'd see... You'd oh, see yeah, the little feet are... They're, like, they're in a narrow shape. Mm. They're kind of banged in and they're they're and that's why we're on the subject of country musicians I am anyway. Um Dolly Parton apparently has you know her feet are kind of in the shape of uh, the heel goes up and the toe goes up. <laughs> she's she's been wearing high heels and she was all the time every day since she was small so, yeah, so I, 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 I don't know how people do anything in high heels, I've no idea. But um I, I don't think I could walk at all on them, but uh, they do put a lot of weight in the front of your foot. Um, so, so a lot of us do need orthotics, you know, and um, and then get somebody decent who'll fit it to you. You don't want a custom built thing; you want some. And you know, I they might cost you a few hundred quid. Mm. Um, if if they last ten years, sure, that's brilliant. Of course, it is. Indeed. And if you have comfort in your feet, you're you're. You know, there's a thing we call the the medical triangle. It's like a um, it's it's from your face to your shoulders, and that's what doctors are all worried about. They say, you know, your heart, your blood pressure, and your face, and your pulse, and your heart, and your lungs. But it's it's like a, an iceberg. A bit underneath the bladder and the feet are the things that generally concern people as they get older, and nobody ever asks about those at all. Well, there you go. Um, as a columnist with the Irish Times, I know how fond you are of the Irish Daily Mail. Um, but could I put could I put a story to you that's in it uh, today that uh, ministers are told they need to listen to doctors and not allow teenagers uh, under 18 to self-declare their gender without parental consent? And I'd love to know, where, where do you stand on that? This is coming from Professor Donal O'Shea. He's an endocrinologist. Yeah, I, I, I know him, but I don't know him personally. I know of him. Donald is involved a lot with um, weight and um, and and uh, obesity and things mm. like that. Yeah. Look, I mean, it's um, we, we have good guidance from the Irish College of General Practice on this, and we we are sort of up about gender identity, gender dysphoria, gender identity. Gender fluid, gender queer—you know—all these, all these things—and our job really is um, to just be aware that um, people aren't all fit. They mightn't always be identifying the way they and have an environment where they can come in and talk about that. Hmm. And you respect that. And there's a very clear pathway of anybody over eighteen who wants to go on a journey to find themselves and hopefully end up 
in a in a situation where they're comfortable. Mm. So we you know, we have sort of guidelines on how to do it, how to go about. Now the the was the male concerned about the ones who were sixteen, seventeen, eighteen? Yeah, that's what was the big concern. It was the under eighteen um, and uh, the kind of advice that they're getting at the moment. Uh, yeah, there is there is a slightly different pathway for people that age, and um, you know it, it does take a lot of work and everything like that. I don't know. All we can do is be supportive and welcoming to the people and their families, and um, try and be aware of the issues and um, send them to the right place and to talk to the right people. I, I don't know what Donald O'Shea is getting at. Is he saying that they're too young to make a decision? Well, he is. Uh, well, they're talking about a change in legislation that would give mm. more uh, powers to uh, kids under the age of 18 to uh, make decisions without parental control in some way. So I think that that's his big, uh, his big issue in the newspaper today, you know? countries that have been more liberal with this are kind of rolling back on it now in some way so it might be worth uh, uh, our politicians looking into that but his other point was that really that they're they're populist where this is concerned as opposed to looking to um, scientists like himself and people like yourself as well you know yeah that that's I, I see where you're coming from yeah um, it, it's you know to have a law that you can just start to that Professor yeah. O'Shea is making, I suppose. Uh, Pat, thanks very much. It's always yeah, a pleasure I, to talk to you. Yeah, right when I did see the Daily Mail coming in. Because, <laughs> you know, I was thinking about the Daily Mail because I was um, I was on a doctor's thing last night. Sorry, if I'm cutting across you there. But, no, no, um, no problem. It, it, there, was a, it, there was a real problem with the UK of um, the, the Tory press um, mm. blaming GPs for the state of the NHS. Hmm. And they're actually being attacked, and their surgeries are being set on fire, and things like that. Are they? Well, yeah, and there's headlines like you know, lazy GPs won't work for so much. You know, this is in places with no support or anything like that. So they're kind of doing it to divert attention from the real problems, which yes. is the NHS is terribly underfunded, and basically there's a sort of a toxic mood out there. So I'm kind of a bit wary of those newspapers. No, no, no problem, yeah. Pat, and well okay. said, and good to talk to you, Pat. Talk Thanks you very Pat. much, Nick. That's our GP, Dr. Pat Harold there from Nina this morning, speaking to us about feet, and then speaking to us about that story in the Irish Daily Mail today, um, where the government is urged to scrap a plan to let teenagers change gender. Uh, laws allowing 16-year-olds to self-identify without parental consent advancing through the doyle at the moment. And the minister says the current legal process
process is too onerous, but leading, leading experts such as the aforementioned uh, Professor Donald O'Shea there saying, experts saying that it's too young. News and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Welcome back to the second hour of uh, Tip Today. Big reaction to John Harney speaking to me earlier on, just to give you some of uh, that correspondence. A listener says John had, has voiced good, valid points that most of us agree with. Um, Richie is in Newcastle. He says uh, John is spot on. The heart and soul has been taken out of society and sadly it's all a doom and gloom at the moment. Another listener saying, well done John Harney. We need a lot more like him straight talking about everyday life issues and that's just a taste of what has uh, come into us uh, following my chat with uh, John. Uh, Fran, listening to you speaking to John Nallon of the Manila Hotel yesterday, I have to agree 100%. Uh, we had at one stage in Feathered 11 pubs. We now have three. We have two shops. Our lovely town is deserted. My sister was away from home for a whole month due to family circumstances. Uh, when she came back home, her ESB bill arrived. It was €800 Euro for two months, but one of those months was the month she was away. When she queried it, she got no help whatsoever. No matter who runs our country, we do not seem to be winning. And uh, what about Bertie uh, wanting to return? Don't get me started. Rant over, Fran. Be safe, says Kay on 83 now we're well aware that there's a huge financial strain on families at the moment with more people than ever before availing of food banks. Well, our reporter, Alison Highland, is at the food bank in Nina this morning. Good morning to you, Ali. Good morning, Fran. Yes, I'm here at Loretto House on Kenyon Street in Nina at the food bank and it's collection day here at the food bank, so it's bustling. And I have a number of people to speak to because there was um, reports during the week about the huge pressure facing uh, facilities like this and organizations like this of course we are going through a cost of living crisis and even though some urban centers and similar food banks and urban centers are reporting up to 100 percent of an increase in the people trying to access services here so we wanted to see if that's reflected in tipperary so i'm delighted to be joined by a number of people now first of all by the founder of the nina food bank who's sandra farrell Sandra, could you tell me, first of all, when did you set up the food bank here on Kenyon Street? Uh, first of all, good morning, everyone. Uh, so we set up about six years ago. So we moved, I suppose, from strength to strength. Unfortunately, the need has grown here in the town and actually all in our tip. Like this morning, we had people coming from Ross Grey, we had Thurless and even up, you know, close to Newport borders. And we've seen our numbers probably grow 150% wow. uh, since we started. And our peak time is usually the Christmas period. Uh, we had 150 food parcels given out uh, over December. January then, you know, it kind of peaks out about 100 food, food parcels again. But that'll grow again in the next few weeks up to the numbers 150. And what inspired you to set it up? What was it that you were seeing that you felt this needs to happen in Nina? Yeah, very strange thing, actually. I was over in India. India and uh, the person I was visiting they do a lot of charity work and distribute food to the most need and it just something relies sometimes you just have to move away 
to actually see that your own town and your own area needs that support as well. And I said, well, if I can distribute food on the streets of Delhi, I know that that need is actually needed in yeah. uh, Nina and North Tip. And I decided to contact Midwest Simon and we got food through the Fed programme, which is European funding. So we give out non-perishable food here uh, to families and the most needed. And uh, that was kind of the f start of it. And it has grown and the amount of volunteers we have as well. We couldn't do it without all the supports of the volunteers. So it's been and we'll speak to a, a couple of them in a few minutes. But in terms of setting it up, was that difficult? Um, I always feel, you know, if I get an idea, I run with it. And uh, I also think if an idea comes from the right place and you're helping the right people, well, then it works out. Yeah. So there's very little hurdles. Uh, Midwest Simon were only delighted to support us here in the North Tip area because they, from their own research, knew that we actually required uh, supports for people in this area. They had an amount of people coming in on the buses daily uh, into Limerick like food parcels. So I suppose we were supporting them through that process. So a lot of those people would have been coming from North Tipperary into Limerick to get to avail of those? Absolutely. JJ Kavanagh's bus, you know, the people in the morning going, over, going in, they probably paid a bus fare just to pick up a bag of food. But I suppose the bag of food contains, you know, non-perishable goods like tins of beans, peas, cereals, pastas, fish, tuna, canned uh, foods and probably the worth of the bag now because of inflation prices yeah. you're probably we're probably giving out a bag worth about 40 euro yeah. to each person and that's a lot of food you know and it will help a few meals for families at least anyway during that fortnight period and where's the food coming from is it um, large supermarkets that are donating or where is it coming from uh, so what happens is through the fed program uh, money is injected here into ireland uh, sign midwest applies for that funding and they buy in bulk then from warehouses and they from the large providers they stored in the warehouses and then we have a great guy called John Heffernan uh, he gives his time voluntary once a month to win with his truck to actually bring out the food here and uh, we're very lucky we wouldn't yeah. be able to do it without the massive volunteer and effort here in North Hip. and I know you're at the head but there's a lot of volunteers as well I know that but I know you God, you're looking at me in disgust now but you did set it up in fairness to you but I know you do rely on a big team of people to keep it going here as well and particularly the volunteers how many volunteers do you have here now uh, we've between 10 and 12 volunteers uh, our numbers go up and down people come they stay with us a while uh, always people want to um, come and uh, give time to us and we're delighted because it's not just one day of fortnight we're here yeah. so you've Brida, Marie, Viv, uh, you've Brian, you've John, you've uh, um, a number of other people that come one or two evenings a week to bag the food and have it ready for today. Yeah. So it's not just two hours a fortnight that they give, it's probably two hours a week out of their own valuable time. And uh, other than that, I, I just wouldn't be able to do this on my own. And uh, they're an amazing group of people. And what I love about them is confidentiality. And what I, you will notice here today is that people come to the door, we know their faces, we have a chat with them, we see how their families are doing, how are they doing. You might even know that they're sick, like one lady came to the door this morning, you were there for that conversation. She wanted to tell me that a lady that comes here actually uh, is quite ill at the moment, she's in palliative care. So things like that, it's like a, we form a family and community. And what I love is that when a new person comes to the door, you know, they get a warm, welcoming smile. And that's so important. And the biggest thing I always say is non-judgment. Yeah. If any of my volunteers start to judge people, I really don't want them here. Because it takes a lot of courage to come to the door, give your name and ask for a bag of food. Yeah. And whether you pull up in a 2023 car or a 30-year-old car, it doesn't matter because we all tend to judge. And I really advocate here for the food bank is non-judgment. 
you know, it takes a lot of courage. Would you get people that would come up to you and say, oh, Sandra, I don't know, no, should that person, do, do they really deserve a bag of food? Would you get that from people? Absolutely. In the six years, you know, even last night I was chatting to a friend. I said, sure, the wrong people get it. Who are we to judge who the wrong people are? Yeah. You know, and I always say, if people take a bag of food that don't require it, then it's their karma they're creating for themselves. Yeah. So we just give it non-judgment and let whatever happens, happens. And how have you seen the numbers increase then over the last few months even? few months, yes. Yeah. So I suppose with the influx of the Ukrainians uh, because of the war, uh, we've seen our numbers jump dramatically uh, from last April. But I was just saying there, we, we noticed in the last few weeks that the numbers have been down for people, the Ukrainians coming. And we found out actually lots of them are in employment and they don't require the food parcel. I think that's amazing. Yeah. You know, so that's a good news story yeah. that people are not dependent on the food banks, uh, especially the Ukrainians that come into town. They have work actually um, uh, secured. I think yeah. that's fantastic. But definitely November, December, our numbers jun ju jumped from 100 food parcels to 150, 163 food parcels we give out Christmas week. Yeah, and then we also run the Christmas Day dinner. So uh, lots of our people that get the food bags here actually come to, uh, we give uh, Christmas Day dinner delivered as well. Yeah. And there was families over Christmas that didn't want a dinner delivered to them, but what we did, we got funding secured uh, from private donations to get turkeys and hands and give them out to the families and give them a 50 euro voucher then that can go buy their own fruit and veg and whatever else they need it. So it's, it's, just, a, it's just a really rewarding uh, work that we do. But as I say, I can't do it without the volunteers. So they're an amazing group. And we have a couple of them here as well. Viv, I might start with yourself. What led to you becoming involved and, and working as a volunteer here at the Food Bank? Well, I was uh, I retired from uh, paid work at the end of 2019, and so I was looking to do something useful with my time. And I registered with the volunteer centre for Tipperary, and it came up for the food bank. Um, and so I came along, and I've been a volunteer here now for just over three years. And it's it's a way of being able to support other people. Uh, do something uh, particularly useful and help others um, who, who, for whatever reason, are less fortunate than myself. Yeah. Um, and as Sandra said, you know, we've seen a sort of steady increase. And so it's important that we keep the number of volunteers up to, to be able to provide the service to others. I'd imagine then as well, some people might assume that there's a certain demographic of people who comes to a food bank, but it's across different ages, different demographics, different geography. It really is. It, it, it's old and it's young. Um, and as Sandra said, you know, it's non-judgmental. You know, people come because they're in need and it's not for us to judge, you know, why they're in need, you know. Yeah. I mean people talk about you know walk a mile in our shoes you know around mental health but it's the same issue you know we, we've no idea why people need that support it's just that we're here and we can help them at least every other week provide them with food that they're, they're non-perishable so they can take them home and they've got something to be able to help them th through the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, Sandra as well was talking about the, the judgment of people. Do you find that people are coming to the door maybe who maybe are a bit ashamed or embarrassed to be here, even though they shouldn't be, but is there that feeling? We've, we've, we've had odd people who've come perhaps for the first time and not so much embarrassed but they're not really sure what they need to do they've yeah. been made aware of the service and so they've 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 presented themselves at the door and they're not really sure so we're able to sort of support them and explain what what they need to do and yeah. essentially they just need to turn to turn up to the door 
present themselves, give us that, their name so that we can then provide them with a bag, whether it's for them for a family or for themselves as a single person. Because that's an important distinction to make as well. You do bags for, for families and for single yes. people. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yes, it's not just... Because there are a lot of single people around that are struggling as well as families. Yeah. Um, and so we do provide uh, the same... It's the same type of, of provisions, but obviously just for a single person. Uh, Breda is another one of the volunteers here as well, and she's with me. Morning, Breda. Morning, how are you? Good to talk to you this morning. How long have you been here? Well, I suppose I've been here really maybe the second year of it or whatever, right. since it started. So. And what led to you getting involved? Well, I suppose I know Sandra well, and... <sighs> I would, I would have great reason for to be involved with a food bank yeah. because I would know a lot of families in town that would be very, you know, they just would be need, very needy, yeah. you know. And Viv was making the point as well about it being a bit of a social outlet for people. I mean, I'm sure there's people that will come to the door and you might be the only face they'll see in the day. Oh, definitely. And like laughs, we do have loads of laughs with them, you know, and when they're in need, we kind of help them to see that there's bright days ahead and great days ahead and there's good people around. And I suppose really and truly that's all you need when you're in trouble you know, especially with regard to food, you need somebody that's a bit of empathy in them and will, you know, will, I suppose, give a bit of joy to them as well, yeah. that they're not at the bottom. They're yeah. not at tipping the bottom. And that's what would worry me, yeah. you know, because that can, you know, obviously your mind is, and your food is controlling, you know, both ends such. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think, you know, I think it is the best thing yeah. Have, you know, we, you have your pride leaving here. Yeah. You know, there is no, just no, nothing else, just pure empathy for everyone, I think. Would you be afraid there's people who should be coming that for whatever reason aren't coming? I would like, I would like if they would realise some, maybe that uh, would be ashamed or anything, that there's no shame and that it'll be all done very quietly, very politely. If they don't want to be seen at the door, then we will see them, you know in here without having to kind of if they feel that they can't stand you know that sort of way because there is some people that can't do that and I think yeah you are right there is maybe the odd few but you'd hope that they would they think you know we can approach them yeah. we can do this you know so hopefully that you know and I know you've bags that are made up as well, and you'll do them up if you have to. Has there ever been a time you've run out of bags or run out of supplies? Oh, we have. We have We have run down completely on supplies, you know, bef say several uh, several times. What do we do? We divide and multiply as the same would go, like the Lord. Yeah. We kind of share what we have. Now, it's hard sometimes because the numbers were massive. November, December, you know, was cruel here. It was very hard, and, yeah. you know here. Oh, it was hard, like, you were ringing Sandra then, saying what, you know, and, like, I mean, she's she's absolutely brilliant with the help and the whole lot, and I just you don't on. want to be turning anyone away like that would be no, the, the big no, fear. Yeah, no, and 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 we try and and, and you know we won't. We'll divide and yeah. try and do the best we can with what we have, and that's what it's all about: dividing and helping. You know? Fair play. Would you would you love to see more volunteers coming in maybe to help? 
Um, we we kind of have quite a few, but God will never turn anyone yeah. away, you know, that sort of way. But it's kind of, there's there's loads of fun and we have a laugh and we have our tea, our mugs of tea and our chats ourselves and just fun, yeah. really, like as in we make it fun, you know. But now, is it time consuming? Yeah, and we have the time to give, which is great, you know, and that's, I suppose... Is there anything you can do to help, even if it's to donate food? And I'll talk to Sandra about that just before we finish up. Thanks for that, Brida. Um, I'm going to talk now, friend, to a couple of the service users who are here. And Pat and Nicola are with me. Pat, how long have you been using the service here? Well, I've been using the service about a year and a half now. Yeah. And uh, in fairness to the service and Sandra and all the girls, uh, they've done great work to help people like me, you know. Because uh, the cost of living today, it's uh, up and down all the time. Uh, you go to shop, like, you know, you have to have more money to meet your uh, uh, cost for, you know, your uh, weekly shop and all that kind of yeah. thing. And fuel has gone up, uh, petrol and diesel and, say, home heating, oil, coal, all that's gone up the whole time, you know. And it's gone beyond uh, what people have now in social welfare. The, they should really look at, like, a disability living allowance, say, for um, disability and pensions and all that kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's uh, what I say, like, all the girls here, like, have done great work over the years to help people, like, you know, in local areas and outside as well. Yeah. And when you first started coming here then, did you feel like... Were you, like, you, I would just hate for anyone to, to be afraid to come here. So was there any kind of reluctance from you or shyness or anything like that coming? Well, I suppose you'd always be shy, like, yeah. in the fact that you think, like, you know, that you're at that level, uh, say, that you're... Uh, that you're money that you have won't cover your weekly shop like yeah. you know and you, you said this is the last step really but no it's not like because the people here like are very helpful like yeah. you know and uh, greet you like it's a uh, would uh, no questions asked at all like they just try and help you in every way they can yeah. yeah what does it mean for your life then if you weren't to get the bag of food that you get here every couple of weeks what would that mean for you well, that means, like, you know, uh, I can. you'd have to go out, like, for uh, every uh, so often. Like, you know, you just haven't uh, enough to keep going, really, you know. Yeah. And it's not only that, like, it's the camaraderie of meeting people, like, and talking to people as well, like, you know. So it, from a point of view, from a food point of view, it's one thing. But from your health point of view, it's a, it's a great thing to meet people every week as well, like, when you come yeah. to the centre, like, you know. And you're from outside of the town then as well, so you travel in to come here. Well, I do travel in, but, uh, you know, uh, as long as we can put fuel in the car to come in, we're, yeah. we're doing all right. But, like, say, uh, when the time comes... Like if we can't afford to do that, uh, then it's it's going to be a different story. But as I said, like uh, the people here are very good, like and they'll always try and accommodate you in some way they can, you know. Yeah. And people shouldn't be afraid to come to the centre, like you know. As I said, like uh, it's a, a very good service, and we've been long enough looking for a service like this, like yeah. you know. And now that it's here, like I'd always say, like uh, we, it, it'd be always good, like if people could donate to the centre also to keep yeah. going, you know. And uh, we said like. Uh, as uh, Sandra uh, fell and the girls like ha have been doing great work, like in fairness, and uh, anything is always welcome. Like you know, especially in the Christmas time, they do a great uh, bags for people, like and get them through that time yeah. of the year. And the Christmas dinner and stuff as well. But tell me, you know, we're, we're going through a cost of living crisis at the moment. The cost of everything has gone up, and God knows, electricity bills and gas bills are gone through the roof. Uh, how are you dealing with with those kind of costs? Well, all you can do, like, is. Uh, you, you, you pay as much as you can when you have it, like, you know, and what's happening really, like, is uh, what people are doing, like, uh, if the gas bill has gone high, like, they'll just try and pay that one, and then you'll probably want the ESB, but, like, it's hard to keep them all paid, like, yeah. you know, because uh, social welfare only goes so far, yeah. and uh, the way social welfare is, like, it's, uh, it's not really in tune with the uh, cost of living. 
and also like you know the price rises that you have in shops like is, is just changing every week and that's the problem pat i know you're a great elvis impersonator as well and if we've time towards the end of my i won't put you on the spot now don't know the fear in the eyes pat don't worry nicola you're a service provider here as well and you're a single parent as well no, so I'm actually oh sorry my but you are a parent of, yeah. of two kids as yeah. well so what does it mean for you then to be able to come here and avail of the service well, I wouldn't be ashamed to come to the door. Yeah. I love meeting new people. I'm very chatty, so I wouldn't be ashamed to use this because as the way I look at it is I'm not the only person that will be coming to the door. There's plenty more. But the cost of living, yeah. oh, my God, it's atrocious. The inflation of everything. I used to be able to get, what would you say, about six, seven full bags. Now I don't even get that. Um, when you have kids in the house, it is a struggle. Yeah. And I'm not going to deny it. Everyone is struggling. Um, but coming here every, every time, like, oh, it's, it's just opens your day for you. Yeah. How long have you been using it? I'm using the service since my kids were primary school, so I'd say about four, four years. Yeah. Five years at that. And it's just a great help even with the kids going back to school as well, because, Joe, you, know, you get the kind of bag for the kids for going back to school, all school supplies in it, and that, that is a good help as well. Because it's where what you get in the bag, it's, it's mm. versatile, so you can make into different dinners and different lunches, yeah. and that's kind of the, the main point of it, isn't it? Like, my, my kids, just to, to put a dinner together, they juice the pasta itself yeah. alone with Joe, a jar of sauce, and that's, that's what they do, like. So it is helpful, you know, because... I actually, there's times there you couldn't even afford some of the stuff. You have to depend on something. Yeah, because you're finding now the cost of doing a grocery shop. I mean, you're spending at least 50 yeah, or 60 more than you were. You do over 100 euro on shopping, and still you'll be lucky. You have to depend on what you get here yeah. because it just on top. But it still doesn't last. Like, yeah. And as a mum, you're trying to get lunches and snacks and everything well, done. Exactly. Exactly, because you're by come the following Tuesday, you're thinking, well, we'll throw something together. Like, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't last like it was before. Do you think what what needs to be done at a government level? And Pat, I might direct this at you a little bit as well. What needs to be done at government level to to protect and just to look after ordinary families and ordinary citizens? Well. I remember now going back when I had my daughter now, like, the money was brilliant. Like, every three months, if it, that, there was a 500 payment for, per child. They'd that, they done away with all that, and that was brilliant to supply for your kids, even going to school, whatever. Yeah. And they'd done away with all that. Um, then I remember children's allowance used to be more than 140. They'd cut down every time. Do you know, I think stuff, stuff like that should have been stayed the same to, for, to supply for kids every week. Yeah. Or even schooling is not even cheap. It's, yeah. it's, not, it's pure costly, like. But you learn to survive and learn to live with that. But the way kids are going on, can I have this, can I have that? Yeah. And the inflation and stuff is not helping either. Um, Pat, you can't say no to kids either. Uh, that's the problem. Maybe we should start saying no, though. That's the problem. <laughs> but, Pat, could I ask you that? I know we're being promised um, a package by the government maybe next Tuesday that will help everybody, a universal package. For you personally, what would you like to see in that package? Well, what I'd like to see in that package like, is to help everybody, really. You know, that's in with, uh, social welfare. It's hard to keep going like on the levels that it is at today. Like, uh, If the price increases in the shops uh, came to a kind of a 
a steadfast like where people know what, what they need to shop every week, like how much they need. At least that would help too, like because uh, if, if everything goes up the whole time, social welfare is not able to meet it, like you know, yeah. with today's uh, value, like you know. And uh, I really think like they need to do something there, like is to, is to uh, to raise social welfare, like and to, to, to raise a disability allowance like and pensioners all the uh, rates should be all <laughs> risen to uh, the cost of living of today because yeah. uh, it's it's gone too far now like say like before maybe five ten years ago you probably do okay with what the rates are now but like we're living in different times you know and um, money like you could have five you could have a lot of money in your pocket one day next day you have no money everything costs so much that's the problem. And Sandra, I mean, if, just to, to finish up then, um, I mean, you, I'm sure you see no end in sight for the service here. It's going to keep going and keep going. Uh, yeah, as I say, look, we've grown every fortnight. Our numbers are increasing. Uh, it, it really breaks my heart uh, to see. And all different sectors of society. It's not just the ones that we think that require the help, you know. Um, we have new people, new local people. It's not just refugees are coming for the service. Is that a problem that we're having maybe that, you know, the, the refugees are a very easy scapegoat maybe for people to direct that resentment and that anger and that it's not really the case? Yeah, absolutely. They'll say, oh, God, they're taking now the food uh, yeah. from the food bank, which is not true at all, as I mentioned earlier. No, lots of them, our numbers have decreased, probably 40 or 50 registered last year. Now we're down to 10 or 15 uh, per fortnight. So that's not true. But what we do see is people that we don't, well, again, judgment, we didn't expect to see them here. And now they're pulling up and asking for help. And we often get texts or phone calls outside the service hours here, 9 to 11 on a Thursday, saying, look, do you mind if we come about half eight when no one sees us pulling up in the car? Or um, I don't want my husband or my wife to know I'm picking up the, the groceries from yourselves. Um, we've heard of uh, stories of domestic violence because one lady's husband found out that she collected food from here and she wasn't allowed to come back here. So things like that, like we've heard so many heartbreaking stories. We've heard people homeless uh, living in their cars and we give out food then that actually require an oven or a cooker to cook on. So then we try to actually work around that, maybe cereals, try to get the milk, you know, so it's we're very flexible in our service. Um, I have to say, Breda and Marie, they're excellent. They'll, if I give them a call, I say, look, there's a family who want to come down. They won't come during working hours. Do you mind? They'll say, absolutely. Uh, let's work with them. So it's we may be only open 9 to 11 on Thursdays, but uh, in saying that, our door is always open. Yeah. You will never see anyone stuck for food. And uh, as long as we have it, we'll give it. You know, Anyone who can donate then, finally, can they donate food or money or, or how, what's the best way of doing it? Ideally, it would be food. People want non-perishable food, obviously. Yeah. And in date, we've yeah. seen people before give food. They've emptied out their presses and uh, it's out of date. And we're all culprits of that. We all yeah. have food out of date in the presses. And I say that tongue-in-cheek, but look, it's not really nice to be giving food out of date to people and we wouldn't do it. But in saying that, look, they can contact us through Facebook. Uh, we have Nina Food Bank. Uh, also, my number, Sandra Farrell, is readily available uh, on the internet. You can Google my name, my number pops up. Sometimes a good thing, sometimes it's a bad thing. Uh, and so contact me either by text or a call and we'll sure to accommodate people and look after them as best we can. And we do, when, when it's when it's necessary we do link in with the Irish Red Cross they were phenomenal uh, during the Covid outbreak they did so many deliveries for us they were an amazing group of people and uh, 
if needed, if someone's isolated or an older person has no way of transport, we'll actually deliver to them. Like, we don't have many volunteers to go out and deliver food, but in a stream circumstance, if no one has a way into town, we'll deliver to them. Yeah. You know, so that is available. So, look, anyone that needs us, come contact us. I'll say no judgment. You're always welcome with a smile, and we'll give you a bag of food um, when we can, when we have it. Yeah. And well done. I know we're, we're starting to wind up here. It's open till 11 here on Kenyon Street. And thanks to, to everyone here at the Food Bank who had us this morning, Fran, and to the service users, Pat and Nicola as well. So that's it from Kenyon Street. Uh, if anyone wants to donate, uh, it's on our Facebook page and we'll put uh, those details up on the Tip FM Facebook page and website too later on. All right, Ali. Thanks very much indeed for that. And uh, thanks to... Sandra for uh, hosting that uh, piece this morning from the food bank in Nina. Um, uh, Paul was on to us, uh, an old friend of mine, Paul Laffords, and Paul says, good morning, friend, listening to Alison's report. It's so sad and infuriating at the same time. One of the wealthiest nations on earth with people relying on food banks. It's so wrong. Imagine how bad it would be without them. Meanwhile, hardworking families are relying on the cost of living supports while utility companies report uh, super normal profits. Only this week it was reported that gas and electricity prices are lower than when the proxy war started. Uh, something has gone very wrong. Uh, Fran, as a nation, we're accepting this. Where are the fighting Irish gone? That's in from uh, Paul Lafford. Catherine says, can I ask what help is out there for middle-income groups working hard, struggling to pay a mortgage, putting kids through school, etc.? None, as far as I can see. And Patrick was on to say, I hope the TDs are listening to Ali's piece on the show. It's a joke what's happening in this country. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Well, it's time for farming and glad to be joined by Katrina Morrissey, who's news editor with the Farmer's Journal. Good morning to you, Katrina. Good morning, friend. Good to talk to you today. That very controversial report for the EPA that uh, just caused consternation there because they were looking for that 30% life uh, stock cull. Um, you have a lovely piece, well, Pat O'Toole has in, in the journal, and it's talking about that some of this was taken out of context, Katrina. Yeah, that's right. So I suppose the report broke over the weekend and um, we we just felt it was important to talk to the researchers behind the report to find out, you know, wh- where this had come from, I suppose. So uh, myself and Jack Kennedy, the uh, journal editor, travelled to Galway to the Atlantic Technological University and we met with two of the authors on Tuesday, uh, James Warren and Eamon Hawhey. And what they were pains to say was, first of all, they stand over everything that is in the report but they feel that it was taken out of context because it's only one part of a jigsaw. And that jigsaw is the first phase of the government's land use uh, review. And part two is going to be land use... uh, Phase two will be to do with land use policy. Mm. So what these researchers were asked to do, and they say they were given a very specific um, brief, I suppose, that was to look at what is the current use of land in Ireland across the country, What are the emissions associated with that? And they were asked a very specific question. If Ireland has to go to net carbon zero by 2050, what would have to happen that land use? And they concluded, they looked at a a large number of scenarios, I think there was 14 scenarios in all, 
and they modelled what would happen. And there was only a handful that would reach the criteria and the one that met that criteria, I suppose, best was the one that included a 30% cut in livestock numbers, 300,000 hectares of peatlands to be re-wetted and then 875,000 hectares of forestry. There was a huge reaction, Fran, as you know. Unbelievable, um, yeah. Not surprising because, mm. you know, these are huge numbers. They're huge cuts. They're huge increases. To put it in context, the forestry one alone uh, is the, the 875,000 hectares of forestry. We only planted 2,000 2, hectares last year. So it would actually wow. take 400 years at that rate of planting to reach the target. Um, the 30% cut in livestock numbers, look, that is just such a trigger for farmers. Mm. Mm. Um, because they, I suppose, I, I, I feel for farmers because they get huge, they've had a, a plethora of targets thrown at them in recent years. Mm. Um, lots of detail about how they need to cut nitrogen, they need to cut uh, methane, they need to cut overall carbon. And what really frustrates them is there's never any detail of what is going to be the compensation for yes. this, for completely changing their businesses. You know, let's say it's a farmer who is farming on peatland, and there's lots of farming in peatland in this country. Let's say it's someone farming in North Tipperary, part of Kerry, in Midlands, around mm. that loan. They're farming on peatland, and that would be, under these um, land use change proposals, would be uh, re-wet. That would either take it completely out of livestock production or partly out of livestock production. Um, so this is, like, these, these models and these hypothetical scenarios really, really, um, you know, they, mm. they, they suggest huge changes to land use. And what really frustrates farmers is there isn't the same level of detail ever on how are we going to do that, you yes. know, in a way that doesn't put them out of business completely. I, I still can't see, though, Katrina, how the detail was taken out of context because if, so, we're, yeah. to, if we're to reach the, the targets that we, we have set ourselves, this mm -hmm. is what is required. Yes, so the authors, James Warren and, and Eamon Hawhey, pointed out that phase one of this report is actually five, or phase one of the land use review is actually five reports, of which theirs is only one. Okay. And there is a socioeconomic report underway as well, which would look at what would, you know, the, the impact of land use changes like what are, uh, are suggested by their modelling. So... The EPA has not published any of the other reports yet. In fact, they hadn't even published this one. This was leaked. Mm. Um, we're expecting it in the next few weeks. Um, the authors actually say that they believe that farmers should be adequately supported and um, you know, given policies that help them move towards mm. these targets without putting them out of business or without reducing food production. Yes. So there's a lot more to come in this, Fran. Um, but the socioeconomic stuff will change the colour of everything, in my opinion. Because it's one thing to say that we should cut 30% uh, in livestock. It's a completely different thing to say what that will do to the rural economy. What mm. would that do to the town of Clonmel? What would it do to the village of New Inn? What would it do to the town of Care? You know, market towns like Care, where there is a mart, where there is a meat factory, mm. where farmers are doing their business in the bank. If a 30% cut in livestock numbers was imposed that would have huge implications for the rural economy. And I think politicians will see reports like this in a different light when their socioeconomic and, and analysis that, accompanying and it. As a non-farmer, Katrina, it, it, that, that cut in livestock numbers, is that not happening by stealth anyway because there are incentives for farmers to do that now? 
There are some incentives in place. Well, there will be some incentives in place. There are also a lot of pressures which are pushing down livestock mm. numbers. So in the, on the suckler side, first of all, there is a natural kind of attrition rate there currently. The trend is about 3% per year are dropping out in terms of suckler numbers. That's about 30,000 cows on the suckler side per year. Dairy has been on an upward trend in terms of once the quotas went in 2015, mm. cow numbers really ramped up. There was a lot of pent-up demand there for expansion among dairy farmers. That's slowing down now in a big way. Um, but still, cow numbers would be on the increase you know, year on year, mm. but much, much slower than it was, for example, three or four years ago. Um, the nitrate derogation, which we spoke about already, and the banding that is being applied to dairy cows now is a forced kind of reduction yes. on the dairy side. They will either have, so a farmer, let's go very simple example, a farmer with 100 cows now under the banding and the changes to the nitrates derogation will have to have fewer cows or more land. And the circumstances we're in at the minute, dairying has been very good to farmers over the last year. They're trying to get more land rather than cutting the number of cows. So there's a lot of um, levers and pressures on livestock numbers at the minute. Mm. And you mentioned incentives. You know, we have, we've seen the Minister for Agriculture say that he is open to a dairy exit scheme for farmers if they want to get out and be paid for getting out of dairy cows. But he has... Um, it was suggested, but he's taken off the table the offer of a similar exit scheme on the suckler side. It's interesting. This also plays into another um, story in the journal this week, Katrina, that those land rental prices impacting mm. climate targets as tillage farmers pushed out, but they're being pushed out largely because of dairy. Is that fair to say? That's right. Um, I suppose there's two reasons for that. Number one is what we've spoken just about there, the nitrate changes that are coming. Um Dairy farmers, in order to keep the uh, stocking rates under the new system, have to find 28,000 hectares of extra land to keep the same number of cows on. And then typically, of course, good dairy land is good tillage land as well. We're a prime example of it here in the Golden Mm -hmm. Vale. You know, there are tillage farmers and dairy farmers compete for the best land. And because dairy has been um, very, very profitable over the last year, they are winning out when it comes to auctions and they're able to outbid their, their tillage farmers, uh, comp- competitors. And that is actually going to look, it looks very strongly at the minute, like it's going to result in a cut in tillage acres this year, which goes completely against what the government wants, mm. which is an increase in tillage area. It's interesting. And you, you have a quote from a mid-tip advisor saying the dairy boys are, are blowing them out of the water. Uh, yeah, yeah, they just have the financial wherewithal after so, last year's that, milk yeah. price. It's on the way down now, milk price, but they have been very, very good for the last 12 months and they have money in their pockets to get the land if they want to get it. Fertiliser suppliers uh, making uh, some bumper profits? They are indeed, yeah. Um, and Finnegan, who's our policy analyst, has gone through the books um, looking at CSO figures for fertiliser imports sales figures to farmers and she has found not unlike some of the electricity Mm. companies um, that fertiliser suppliers importers and merchants have um, put a lot of money in their back pocket in the last year Mm. as well. So the margins are up in some cases anything from two and a half to five times what they were the year before depending on the type of fertiliser. Yeah it's a big increase and overall about 200 million in extra margins. And is the farmer benefiting from any of these profits? 
No. So the farmers have paid for this, um, in effect, because farmers have paid the high price. Importers, now, they did have to pay a high price last year, but they didn't have to pay it for all of the year. And the farmers are paying, the retail price to farmers has not dropped in a very similar way to our electricity at the minute. Um, farmers are still paying the high fertiliser prices. There's actually a standoff this spring because um, the suppliers want to continue selling at the higher prices because they bought in products mm. at higher prices. But farmers are just waiting. They're going to try and wait them out to see if, if they will drop the price because, as our story shows today, they've clearly made plenty of profit on the back of it. Um, it is this is the time of year for buying fertiliser and this will be, I think, give farmers um, some ammunition to say, you know, you made enough off us last year, it's time to drop the price and let us get it at a cheaper level. Just finally, Katrina, then we often talk about uh, online uh, fraud on this uh, programme, but uh, farmers are not immune to this. They're not, they're not. And Peter Thomas Keevney, our machinery um, correspondent, has another case of machinery fraud in today's paper. Um, Clarks of Cavan, who a lot of farmers will know they're, they're cabin-based, but they sell all over the country, is a machinery dealer that has been targeted by European scam artists. So they're believed to be in Poland. What they're doing is um, kind of cloning the website of Clarks of Cavan, using their photos, using their a very similar phone number address and everything. And what they're doing then is they are posing as the genuine clerks of Cavan, and they're taking deposits on machinery from people in Spain, Portugal, Poland and France. And Peter Thomas Keevney has spoken to the company and they've been told that they have that the scam artists have taken amounts, anything from €2,000 right up to €15,000 from unsuspecting machinery buyers across Europe. Incredible stuff indeed. All of that and much, much more in the current edition of The Journal. It's on your shelves right now. Katrina, always good to talk to you and thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Fran. Thank you. Bye-bye to you now. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie 1800-938-007. The listener says if Ireland reaches the target that you spoke about there to Katrina, what change will the average temperature of the earth be compared to the average temperature of the earth? Now, well, I would say very, very, very little because we're such a small country. But, um, you know, just because the other boys in the class are bold, should we be bold as well? I suppose that's the argument that the uh, Green Party would make to you where that is concerned. It's interesting when you look at somewhere like China. I mean, 30% of the um, uh, entire global emissions. You know, it's it's incredible, isn't it? And if, again, look at the United States, 14%, which is considerable too, but China, 30% of all the global emissions. And it's very interesting when you look at the list of the ministers who are heading off um, for St. Patrick's Day to various parts of the world. Eamon Ryan is heading to Singapore, China, Hong Kong, Beijing and uh, Shanghai. And um, it'll be interesting to know, will he bring that up in conversations or will it all be to Ralura? And it's also a little bit ironic to, um, to think about this as well, that uh, Eamon Ryan, I'm just looking down through, he is one of three with the highest... Uh, carbon footprint in terms of his plane ride to um, to the east. So, uh, yeah, 
Is there irony in that? Is there, is there hypocrisy in that? I don't know. 1800-938-007. Now, a couple of gigs I want to mention to you because Whistle This is happening uh, tomorrow night at the Monks uh, Great Public House in uh, Thurles and it's a great platform for new music and new artists and singer-songwriters and all of that. Uh, the host is my great friend Tom Lyons and he'll be there along with Rua and Jack Keishan and Dear Readers and Tom will have lots more uh, guests on the night as well. It kicks off at about half past nine. As I say, a great platform for new music and for new artists. I'll be out and about myself uh, along with uh, Muriel on Saturday night at the Roundhill Bar. We're doing a, a world tour of Tipperary and uh, that's Karigatoha, uh, Nina and I'll be with my friend John Fitzpatrick in the country club there in Clonmore on Sunday night. So we're looking forward to, to that as well. News and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on. On 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Thanks, Jody, and welcome back to the final hour of Tip Today. Still getting some reaction to Ellie's piece about the food bank in uh, Nina. Uh, one listener saying, it's so true, Fran, uh, what the texter has said. My husband and I, middle-income earners, two kids, we have never uh, gotten anything free uh, or claimed social welfare apart from child benefit. We are in our early 40s, working since we were 18, full-time and part-time since 15 or 16. Mortgage, uh, etc., every month with no help. Uh, we're gone from childcare now, but never got help with this financially when we did have that expense paying taxes every week to keep everybody else going. It's soul-destroying. Never have a foreign holiday. We live comfortably enough, but it is a struggle at times, and we are never a burden on the state. So that's one of our listeners uh, reacted to that piece again on 083 311 All right, then, it's time for our weekly health slot. Delighted to be joined, as usual, by the CEO of Marito 8020. Muriel Cuddy is with me. Muriel, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. And good to uh, talk to you today. And you brought a special guest today. Will I you did. tell me about her? I did. So Trish is with us today. So I suppose anyone that was listening in two weeks ago when mm. you were with us in Marito, Fran, um, she was literally lying on the aesthetic bed and being injected uh, by yeah. our wonderful Dr. Wan. So you always do a review and a follow-up after two weeks um, to see how the client gets on. Uh, so we've brought Trish in today so she can Very actually tell yeah. us how she got on herself. Well, Trish, really good to see you today and you look lovely. Um, are you happy with the results? Um, good morning to you, Fran. Yes, I'm delighted with the results. Uh, yesterday yeah. I called into Marito to meet with Dr. Wan and had the review. A little tweak made to the injections that were done initially and, uh, yeah, very happy. Very good indeed. When you looked in the mirror, I mean, what was it you saw that made you say, well, I might might try and get rid of some of the wrinkles? What what were you seeing? Uh, So I suppose the reason that I... Uh, decided to go with this uh, injections and wrinkle relaxing was that I feel like I'm getting older and I just want to do something to refresh myself to look Mm. a little bit um, not so much turn back time and anti-age but to age with grace and with 
in the process that I'm happy with. Right. Um, so this is like it, maybe replacing something that was like a facial before. I'm going down the road of injectables now. Right, very good. Are you happy with the result? Because you're looking extremely well. Very happy, thanks very much. Yeah, Yeah, thanks. Even though I thought you looked well beforehand as well. So it's sometimes we're our own biggest critic, I suppose, Trish, as well. Absolutely, and it's not so much for for change. But I wasn't looking for change. It's just to age in a manner that I choose to age. Right. Did you do some research before you made this decision? Absolutely. A lot of research. Um, So uh, I would have looked at clinics all around the country because this is something that I would be happy to travel for. So you might Mm. go to Cork or to Dublin or Waterford for treatments like this. But um, Muriel is someone whom I would know from this show and would have known socially from previous years when Mm. she was in health and fitness and uh, uh, I had a connection with her and she was opening the clinic and I, she's somebody I would trust. She told me about Dr. Juan and I took a look at his work mm. on social media and I was very impressed. Very, very impressed. And you were at pains to tell me last time we spoke, Trish, that um, you have concerns about uh, some of the outlets that are supplying this kind of work. Do you, do you want to just say a little yeah, more absolutely. on that for so me? It's, it's key and it's vital. In Ireland, it, you can only... Um, get injectable products like this from a medical doctor. You're not supposed to be going to somebody who is working in a salon who's not trained mm. and not a medical doctor. It is a medical treatment. Mm. and um, But that is going on, Trish, as you, as you know. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not something that I would choose because okay. that's something that you then end up back in Dr. One's seat having him trying to correct it for you. Right. Which I think is something he spoke to you about. He did indeed, yeah. And so you would advise people, I guess, that you, ha- you have to do your absolutely, research. Absolutely, absolutely. And someone you trust and someone who has the right aesthetic look for what you're... Um, looking for. So I'm not looking to stop being my age. I'm just trying to make myself look a little bit more fresh and um, more um, I suppose ageing gracefully. Yeah, absolutely. And your peers for example, I mean, is this common in in women your own age? And I would say that in the past two to three years, people are only starting to talk about it, Mm, what mm. they've had done. It was definitely not something that was spoken about. But if somebody's going to get to their mid-40s and they have a wrinkle-free brow, I think it's safe to say (laughs) they've had something done. (laughs) Okay, but are you saying people are a little more inclined to talk about it at this point? They certainly are. People are far more open about it now than they were previously. Right. It's a far more acceptable thing to do. And certainly I think more people are choosing to combine traditional beauty salon treatments with um, injectable treatments Mm. as well. Would you consider something more invasive, for example? Uh, For now, I'm happy with the treatment that I have had for now. But Mm. I wouldn't say no, but I'm not going to say yes. I would just small tweakments are what I would like to uh, what my interest is I'm not looking for uh, a remodelling I'm not a Kardashian <laughs> <laughs> Well I'm delighted to hear that for sure um, the, because some of the arguments that people make against these procedures oh that's only the start of it now and if I started that sure next thing I'd be under a scalpel somewhere and uh Possibly for some people maybe mm. that might be something that they find you know that they're enjoying it and that they're choosing that and mm. you know that's what they want but for me no that was ne- that was never that was never the outcome that I was looking for the outcome was just to steady the ship with the aging and age in a manner that 
would give longevity to me as I go into the second half of my uh, hopefully long life. <laughs> I'm sure it will be a long life indeed. It, 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 I'm, ju- I'm just wondering, Muriel, is Trish... Is she typical of who's coming into you or is it right across the board? No, Trish is definitely typical, Fran. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's the client we wanted from the very beginning. Like, it's it's the treatment side. We spoke about this earlier on. Like, our world is miles, poles apart from the Kardashians and the Madonnas and all of this. Like, mm. they've nearly given um, the aesthetic world a bad name, uh, to be mm. honest. Like, it's not about transforming the face or whatever. And since we spoke about this with Trish and Radio two weeks ago, we've had so many calls. I've spoken to so many people that haven't even booked in. Some have booked in just in general that it has opened the conversation in mm. relation to what you can actually do. So for, for the older generation, even people that would never even had have thought about getting something done. Um, but now they're actually, you know, mm. picking up the phone and saying, listen, this has really bothered me for so long. Can I actually, is there something I can do about it? They're sending us pictures. They're sending us pictures on WhatsApp. What do you think? And it, like they're make, making faces and, you know, pointing at their nose and all of this kind of thing, you know. I just think that's wonderful. We had a girl in yesterday and she said her neck had been driving her insane for the last 15 years. Um, She's been wearing polo necks and scarves and all the bits. Um, So she wanted to get that sorted, right? Mm. Um, And she said to me, nobody's even going to notice I've had it sorted except me because they haven't seen it for the last 15 years. So she's doing that for herself? She's doing it for herself, yeah. And, Mm. And you can imagine, she's had to try and find clothes to cover her up to her chin, to cover her neck for the last 15 years or whatever. So if there's something there that you can actually help with you know, the, 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 the sinews and the different mm. lines and that mm. that are really standing out. Isn't that just fantastic? You mm. know? So that's what it's about. And, you know, I've been listening to the conversation all morning and I listened to chatting, you were chatting about the food banks and all the different bits. There's so many different sides to this world. And people would say, like, is this frivolous? Mm. You know, what they're mm. talking about, like, is on yeah, the Yeah, I was going to say this to you. And, and, yeah. and people could be forgiven for maybe thinking that as well, Muriel. Ab- totally. Yeah. Like, we all have, like, Trisha's kids, I have kids. Mm. We have the whole background of, you know, working hard. And we mm. have, like, all the ESP bills and all the different bits and pieces. And I think most people that are coming in, nobody has an endless pocket. This mm. isn't, again, the Kardashian world or whatever. Mm. This is our very normal middle class, whatever world of if we have um, if we want to spend, we have to put aside to spend. We have to work out, well, what have I? What can I spend? What can I afford to do? What way do I want to spend it? So like Trish said, she used to get the facials before. She used to spend, you know, on the creams and Mm. that kind of thing, you know, and um, for her, this works better. The, the longevity in actually getting an anti-wrinkle treatment or it could be a PRP or Profilo which is just like hyaluronic acid or collagen or something like mm. that that just makes you look that bit younger is a better spend. So I think that's the way it is for it's a lot of interesting. people. It's interesting. And what I put to Trish as well because after some of our conversations I people made this point to me is this not the start of something? Oh God almighty now I have to keep going with this. And, uh, I think it's the type of person you are. That's one of the things. And mm. I think expectations and managing expectations that's a massive thing so every single person we talk to that's something we talk about like and reinforce and reinforce and reinforce you can't turn back the clock like Mm. we are whatever age we are Mm. I'd love to be 20 again but like that's not going to happen regardless of what we do you know and like even to change the face the body isn't going to change to that extent it all has to match Mm. do you know what I mean so like even the hands and that so you can have this lovely smooth face and then if your hands are going to show so there's there's a road and a very slippery road you can go down if you are that type if you have an addictive personality mm. and you start doing this and you think right okay I need to change I need to change I need to change our world in Marito we won't do that we won't work with a person 
that really wants to go over the top right, because that, that's not our world. And you recognise that that is an issue with somebody, Well, we, we, yeah. we talk all the time about um, is that a Marita client or not? Okay. So, like, there has to be a fit of, say, like, like um, Trish here, that it's tweakment. You're going to be the best version of yourself, but no, you're not going to have the big lips and we're not going to give mm. you that, you know. Yeah, I was delighted to see that the Love Island lips, that they're kind of out of fashion now, which, yeah, yeah, is, which yeah, is a good yeah. thing as Isn't far as it? I'm concerned. Well, yeah. You had it all. You had the eyebrows, you had the lips. Uh, I think that the, the newest one, the slimmed down look, is definitely coming to the fore. But What's that now? The slimmed down. Like, okay. you, you know, everybody now wants a slimmer, rather the curvy look was in for a long time okay, with the boobs right. and the bum. Right. Um, so you're back to the twiggy so look, So you're back. The you? twiggy look is starting to come back. Now, that's not great for the younger generation. I don't think so. Yeah, but if yeah. there's a happy medium somewhere there in the middle, yeah, that's good. For us, That's we right. can't do that, Fran. As we get older, if we're going to get skinny, the faces are going to fall to our knees. So <laughs> Trish, what about medium. that? Do you see that young girls now that, you know, there's all these comparisons made on websites and on social media and the like. Do you fear for them in the, in the, in the way that things are going? Uh, I would fear around uh, the, the TikTok and uh, Instagram yeah. and that they would feel that that's real and I think the social media companies have a huge responsibility to show what is real and not real and note note on the if a filter has been used or not used because like you could pop up uh, posts there now and you can completely filter yourself uh, yes. to look you could look 20 again yeah, Fran yeah. As, as you want you yeah. were saying there so I think the social media companies have a huge responsibility around that but then you have apps that will you know they'll do it before you even put the content up on social media so it's 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 a tough one i think as adults we have to be responsible and we have to be honest i think mm. maybe that's another reason why there's honesty around what people have had done yeah. more so in recent years well that's a good point yeah that um, if, if you talk about yeah, it at least it's and out honesty, there, you know, so, yeah, yeah about uh, what's real and not yeah. real when i left you um, a couple of weeks ago when we recorded uh, the piece you were i think you were heading off shopping or for a coffee or, or something and you felt you could do that were you okay after the treatment yeah, did I you had, have any i headed back to work fran yeah <laughs> No shopping. <laughs> did I spoil that, Chris? Did I spoil that? But do, do you have any side effects no, afterwards? No, absolutely not. Oh. Absolutely not. No. no okay. No. And, Went and straight back. in the days after? Uh, no, no side effects at all. Nothing. Right. Nothing. Okay. No, it's it's literally, it's a lunchtime uh, tweakment, as we're calling it. And it's uh, get on with things and keep going. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. at what stage then? Was it a few days later when you began to notice a difference? Or? Oh, you'll begin to notice the difference from, I'd say, about day two, day three yeah. onwards. You'll definitely see the difference and then you'll you, why you come back after uh, two weeks is it's the 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 main changes or the muscle relaxant has kicked in fully right. by 14 days uh, so then you can see the full effects so mm. that's when I had my review very good indeed how long will this last for Trish Muriel everybody's different again the stress personality Nothing works for a person that stresses stresses um, um, outside the box, Fran. Right. So it works a lot. It normally works for six to nine months, there or thereabouts, depending. So it depends on the personality or type you are. If you stress a lot, lot your body absorbs it a lot quicker. Um, things like going to the gym, uh, the lads would laugh at me because I like to lift heavy weights or whatever. So like they'd say, stop, Muriel, you're pulling faces again. It's going to ruin it or whatever. <laughs> so things like that actually... Um, Lessen the effect, so you yeah. don't get you don't get as long. You stress the months. stress the biggie. For ah, people. stress kills everything. Stress yeah. is literally yeah. Day after day, I saw thirteen clients yesterday. Of the mm. thirteen clients, nine of them had a really stressful, either a stressful life or they were a stressful person. Mm. Stressful person is worse. If you have a stressful life, you have a really good chance that you can actually put things in place that you can work it out to some extent. Yes. If you're a stressy person, and it's in your DNA. 
uh, and it's an eight, that's much, much harder because you'll stress over anything. You mm. know, like I had girls in yesterday and they said, yeah, there was somebody in their world that stressed even sitting on the couch. They stressed, you know, right. um, so that's that's. And does that show on their face, Muriel? Oh, yeah. God, yeah. yeah, yeah. The lines and all the bits, you will know, you know, even by looking at somebody, Fran. But even in our world, if you get an aesthetic treatment done and you stress, it doesn't last as long because the body is, is working on overtime all the time so it just absorbs it. Right. So like to, to find techniques we talked about this before but GBT and CBT and things like that and the, the CAM apps and all of that kind of thing people might laugh at them but they do work. Mm. Them and exercise. Right. They're probably two of the best things that anyone could do. If you do nothing else if you never change your diet you never do anything else even if you've got a stressful child to get him into learning how to cope with things like that before you get him to do anything else Fran. That's just That's yeah. very good advice. Are you a stressed type? I don't think you are, Trish, really. Uh, I'm very mindful are you? to not be stressed. Yeah. yeah. I would think about it. Yeah. yeah. So, but you would be conscious of it, would oh, you? Oh, I would. Yeah, yeah, I would be conscious of it. Yeah. It's funny that you talk about the apps there. I even introduced my own kids to the, um, I'm not sure if it's called Headspace or something it's, on Netflix. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. On Netflix. Yeah. And uh, watching that and the breeding techniques, it's mm. wonderful, yeah. wonderful, yeah. yeah it works. Right. It's funny yeah. because um, uh, my 13-year-old came home and they had, they had a wellbeing uh, day in school. And in, in art, and even, I suppose we've done a lot of the work in schools and, you know, in the last few years or whatever. And in the beginning, it was really hard to get the buy-in and even to get him to listen, listen or whatever. But he was all chat about it and he understood it all. And like, he's in first year. Mm. Um, the, the kids are even starting to know and they're starting to welcome this world. I know the need is there for it. I suppose maybe they see the need is there for it, but they're starting to embrace it like we wouldn't have done. That yes, it's actually a good job to go and sit maybe in a quiet space um, and take fantastic stock. Fantastic to introduce that in schools and you know. So important. But I think a lot of schools have yeah. rooms now that you can actually go and you can sit and you can take time out and that kind of thing. Yeah, that they can actually relax and get the headspace and stuff like that. You know, we always go off on on tangents uh, whenever we're talking, Muriel. But um, John Harney, a publican, was talking to me this morning, and he. What he told me I was very disappointed about is that there's a general feeling of unease and a general feeling of negativity in with the people coming into the pub in their chat and mm. that sort of... Do you, do you think that's prevalent out there? Isn't it funny that you said that now? Because I was listening to John this morning when I was in the office. I, mm. I, I had, had, had the radio on or whatever. Um, and I actually sent a message to Charlotte. Mm. To Charlotte um, Who works with you. Of yeah, course, yeah. Um, about what John had said. Because we're doing a screen all over the country at the mm. minute. So we see a lot of people every day. And a lot of the people that we see like are like lorry drivers and forklift drivers and, you know, working in, in warehouses and things like that or whatever. Um, yes, there is the feeling of negativity mm. that they spend people even trying to book holidays this is January into February worried about doing it and that yeah. kind of thing that general and even people that are coming into us you can you can see it you can just you can feel that underlying whatever and it's awful because Covid kind of brought us all back yes. we were starting to feel more positive again and the time out was lovely we're just fine and people are back in the rat race I've been so stressed again it's just not funny and that's coming from the behind the scenes of the monetary side etc that they feel they need to do more and more and more and there's less money then to actually relax and do the other side and you remember I said to you John we're going off on tangents but I said about the self-medicating with the alcohol yes of course like that's there like why are people drinking like if we didn't need it we wouldn't ha- we wouldn't use it or we wouldn't have it so we're self-medicating yeah yeah we are and like yeah. the, the, the tablets are there on one side I'd love if there was a new study done on the um, antidepressants and um, and anxiety or the anxiety tablets and all that kind of thing to see where we were two years ago in comparison to where we were now I'd say it's an enormous difference sleeping tablets I'd say it's gone yeah. through the roof literally and if you don't if you're not a person that will bring yourself into the doctor and talk about it because of the embarrassment or you feel you, you don't have have that problem, yeah. 
it's the alcohol or it's something like that that you're going to use because how do you actually come down after a really stressful day? What's course, going to make yeah. you switch off? Uh, as a working um, a woman, Trish, what, what are you seeing out there? Do you see a lot of that negativity? Are people struggling? What, what are you seeing? Um, I wasn't expecting this question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I th- it's funny what you described there, uh, Muriel. Um, I would have had the opposite effects. You said, how, how do... Am I bad? You know, balanced in my life now. I've actually found COVID very stressful, Did and you? I, f- I find now is better. Right. So I think yeah. there is horses for courses. Yeah. Uh, so right. well, it's yeah. good to get a bit of balance on this because yeah. we, you know, uh, like this morning, we're largely hearing negative stuff from people. Okay. Now, yeah. So, yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. No. Right. Well, it's a tough time of the year as well. We're coming out of January yes. into February. Yeah. Um, I'm delighted the sun is shining here. Uh, in Clomel, which is fantastic. Yeah. And I think if we can look at those kind of things and have practiced a bit of gratitude around what we can have control on and look forward to spring and summer Very and good. better times. It's even calming to listen to you, Trisha. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> it is, yeah. If people want yeah. to find out more um, about what you do, yeah. um, and, and there's so many strands to what you do, of course, it's not just uh, Well, the health side like was Trish always there, yeah. um, friends. Yeah. so the health and nutrition. And we're actually doing a lot lately with on player development. And over midterm break, I've had a lot of... Um, teenagers in mm. um, so if parents are worried about that side with them definitely um, give me a shout on that yeah mm. so yeah if they want to contact us it's 052 61 so you might give that number out again because a lot of women have given out to me that um, that you're giving it out too, it fast, too fast is it okay well give it out one more time then yes. just, okay. just in case so, so it's 052 yeah. 61 one. All right. Muriel, good to see you. Trish, well done. Thanks very much indeed for coming into us. We'll take a break. Back in a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, Claire was on and she said, I really enjoyed the discussion with your GP, Dr. Pat Harold, on feet. If one person this morning takes action on their diabetes, that would be great. I'm a podiatrist and a chiropodist and feet are my work, says Claire. And I just saw a previous um, message from tweet from a few days ago. And Claire says that one in eight adults cannot cut their toenails. Isn't that incredible? One in eight adults cannot cut their toenails. We'll have to find out more uh, about this. Mark was on and uh, he says, farmers have destroyed the national habitat for the wild which is essential if we have any hope of saving the planet. Modern farm practices are based on animals in crazy high numbers and growing food only to feed these animals. One dry spell of weather would end it all. It could happen any summer and no plan B, all for a product that three quarters of people on the planet are intolerant uh, of. I presume that's making reference to dairy. And uh, Mark said it's uh, big money making business. So that's Mark's opinion and I guess that was uh, prompted by my chat with Katrina from the Farmer's Journal today. Now we always like to give you a heads up on a Thursday um, about Down Your Way, one of my favourite programmes on the station, of course hosted by the great Eamon O'Dwyer. It uh, will be broadcast this Saturday morning at 10 and for this week's edition, Eamon is in Maloney's pub in Pelmucca.
John and Bridget, how are you doing, folks? Uh, very well, Eamon. Bridget. Very well, Eamon, thank yeah. you. Good to, good to be here. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, this is yeah. uh, great to see it happening, sure. Isn't it? it is, uh, yeah. This time last year, there wouldn't be too many around. No, with the COVID, sure, we had three years lockdown, sure, it was terrible. Yeah. Couldn't yeah. could go nowhere. Yeah. Time was very long. Yeah. You're a few years here, John? Oh, yeah, we're 54 years here. Oh, 54, 54 years in the pub, lad. Come on. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. yeah, the pub was always here. And when the mother's time, it was closed down for a while. And then, then when Bridget, when I spotted Bridget, we decided we'd open it again. <laughs> and only, oh. How do you mean you spotted her? When, when she came along. She, she followed me up here. <laughs> I'd like that, but only if she come along, the pub wouldn't be here. She wouldn't be here. Yeah. She brought the people around the place as well. Well, she, she got a going. She got a going for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And of course, uh, Bridget, of course, is a wonderful woman. Ah, yeah, but she's she's dual purpose now. <laughs> so she supports the Tipperary team as well. Ah, yeah, she supports everything. Yeah. Horse racing, dogs, course, and everything you go. She supports it, yeah. especially the hurling. And more of it, belly gunner. Absolutely, yeah. Why not? Why not? Yeah. Bridget, of course, I hear a lot about you uh, from all over the place. Fantastic, isn't it? <laughs> That's just great, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I like being here. I'm here now for 55 years. Yeah. Yeah. 55 years next day, but now the pub will be opened. Yeah, terrific, yeah. Mm. And you're, you're very much involved in it, all of those years and that. Oh, and all the neighbours yeah. and friends that you've, you have met and, yeah. and you... That's just great. All the customers are one of them nicer than another show. Yeah, I'm at home here, really. Yeah. So, Even, so, 55 years, it's a long time in the place. Five years now next April. So what, what's, around the the what's the highlight of yours down here? Oh. The so, so many highlights. Uh, we had a John every day for one anyway. <laughs> yeah, we had actually great days with Corson and the social event there in the summertime, 9th of May. We'd have the road race and the big crowds around. What about ploughing and all of that? Yeah, the ploughing, yeah, so the ploughing are coming here for years and the jacks are here. The Rakiva Marker come up here as well. And, the New England Gun Club has meetings here as well. It's a kind of meeting point, really. You know. This is only one shop town, isn't it? No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's just a community thing, really. I mean, if the pub wasn't here, I'd know where they'd meet up. Because there's no halls, there's no shops, there's no anything around. Really? Yeah. John, you made your first in here? Ah, not making it. I just didn't make it, actually. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, the people, people have got around the way to deal with it. They're one of them nicer, and the group is here now, years, 55 years later. They're nicer now than ever they were. The users today are lovely. Great crack there in Maloney's Pub in Mocha featuring John and uh, Bridget there. I love that comment from John that uh, Bridget had dual purpose now, Waterford and uh, Tipperary Fair Play. And that's going out in full on Saturday morning from uh, 10 o'clock. The great Eamon O'Dwyer and Down Your Way. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Welcome back to Tip Today. Now, Katie O'Donovan is a graduate uh, journalist who has been with us here in Tip FM for the past five months as part of a Learning Waves Journalism graduate programme. Now, as part of the programme, she had to create a short-form documentary focusing on areas of either sustainability, climate change or diversity inclusion. And I'm delighted to say that Katie is with me in studio. We finally dragged you into the programme, Katie. How are you? <laughs> I'm 
good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well indeed. And we'll be very sorry to lose you. You're 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 leaving us then tomorrow, is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, tomorrow's my last day. So look, no, I'll be sad to be sad yeah. to be heading off. I've had a great time here and I've learned so much. So Yeah. Tell tell me about your decision, first of all, on journalism. Um, why why journalism? Um, I think I've always just been very nosy and very questionable and like I've my mum will tell you even when I was four and five, Mam, what's this? Why does that do that? And <laughs> I think I've just always been like that, asking questions and wondering things. So it felt like a kind of natural thing to go into. And as well, I love talking to people and telling stories. So I feel like the two kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, so that's kind of what brought me into it. And tell me, what did you do before? I mean, this isn't your first career, really, is it? Well, it is. I mean, is I'm it? only I'm only 25. I only finished college two years ago. Did yeah. a master's last year during COVID. Mm. Or the year before last, during COVID. So, um yeah, no, I'm just trying to get started now in, in ah, my career. Very good. So was it always journalism that you were looking to then? I think so. I mean, I went to college. Well, when I was applying for CEO, I was kind of like, I don't really know what I wanted to do. And then I did um, new media and English in UL. Hmm. And then realised, yeah, this like, journalism writing, is that's what I'm good at, what my skills are. And even my teachers at school would always have said, oh, God, you've got very, you're very good at writing. Hmm. My, I think my sixth class teacher was always like, oh, you'll write a book someday. So I don't know if I'll ever write a book, but <laughs> it wasn't too well far do. off. Yeah. And do you, I mean, when you broadcast journalism, it's quite different to writing for newspapers or the like as well. I mean, were you able to, to judge which which uh, particular form you, you'd prefer? Yeah, I think I think if you'd asked me before I did my master's, I would have said radio only, that that's what I want to do. Mm. But having done the master's, I've realised as long as I get to write and tell stories, I actually don't mind. If, if I'm in paper, if I'm in, if I'm in broadcast, it doesn't. Right. I'm happy either way. And when you say tell stories, are you talking about telling other people's stories or are you talking about opinion or what, what form? I suppose other people's stories in the sense that everything has a story and everything, you know, there's a story behind everything. So I suppose just getting kind of behind the headline, if that kind of makes sense, mm, yeah. you know? Yeah. T- tell me about, I mean, 25 years of age, for God's sake, horribly young, as I say about everybody <laughs> of that age. But it's interesting because journalism does give you a window, a particular window to what's happening in, in, in the world. And I'd love you, your opinion on this because we've been discussing it all morning. A lot of negativity out there. A lot of people your age heading away to Australia, mm-hmm. even though there are jobs here now, which is a, a another different kind of emigration. What, what do you make of it all, Katie? I mean... I think having jobs here is one thing. That's that's fair enough. But if you can't afford to live here on the wages you're going to get, then I don't blame people for going away. I mean, there's the amount of people I've gone to school with who've who've gone away to Australia, to Canada, to America. It's you know, it's it's like nearly every weekend someone's having a going away party. And I think, like you say, having a job is one thing. But if the cost of living is too high and rents are too high, right. how can people stay? And is that the general opinion among people your age now at this point? I think so. And I think as well, I mean, young people have always had the urge to travel. People have always gone places. So I suppose maybe it's a bit of that to think, oh, well, I go when I'm young. I might as well before I meet someone, have kids, whatever. Um, but I do think, I mean, it is, if you're trying to rent anywhere, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, and you can't stay at home forever. Right. So Yeah, because we found, I mean, even in difficult times when, when we were building a house, um, it was easier, even though money was scarce and jobs were scarce, but it was easier for some reason. Really, you know? Yeah, I think, I don't know, I think it's because just everything is more expensive. It isn't just, you know, oh, it's just food is expensive. It's food, it's fuel, it's energy, it's, if you're building a house, it's cost of building, it's all these things. So I think, I don't know, I can't say obviously why it seems harder now. 
but I, I think, do think it just does, you know? Mm, yeah. When you had a, a choice where your documentary uh, is concerned, I mean, you had choices, sustainability, climate change, diversity, inclusion. You chose diversity and inclusion. Why so? Because? Um, I think, like I said, I just wanted to get behind these headlines of people coming into Ireland and hearing, you know, you hear, you hear a lot of negative comments and I wanted to show that there is people behind these stories. There is actual people who have feelings and who maybe in some cases don't actually want to be here. I know one of the women, well, mm. obviously she wants to be here, but in the sense that she came from Ukraine and she, they never planned to move. Mm. They didn't plan to come to Ireland. They just Tata, because that was what right. that was what happened. They were happy, I presume. In oh the, yeah, they're happy. The, obviously happy to be here now. No, but no, but I mean they were happy oh, in their life before the war and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But they never planned to move anywhere. Mm. Only that they had to when Russia invaded them. Does it concern you about? I mean, we get it here on the program all of the time. Does it concern you that people are very divided now in terms of, you know, asylum seekers and refugees, and there's a lot of anger, and we're we're seeing the protests as well. Then does that concern you? Yeah, it does. I mean, I think. People obviously, in the in one sense, have a right to be concerned, have a right to be worried, um, but at the same time, there's no need for anger and hatred and protesting and fighting. There's, there's no need for it, and especially mm. on social media, you have. I think there was a story that came up on Facebook a few weeks ago, and it was like, oh, this woman was attacked, and it was it was an asylum seeker, and it was definitely him, and then it turns out that they arrested an Irishman first. Yeah, it and was completely wrong. Yeah, it was and you've totally got people sharing this that yeah. haven't even. They just see it on Facebook and think, oh yeah, that's fine, that's true. It was definitely this person or that person. They don't actually look behind it and realise, oh, you know, Irish people do yes. commit crime as well. But are people falling for rhetoric like that, do you think, Katie? Is yeah, it, is I that think the so. danger, yeah? Yeah, I mean, like like you see, it's on it's everywhere. It's on Facebook, it's on it's all the social media sites. So I think people don't, people are too quick to take something for, like for, yeah. at face value. Yeah. They don't look into it and think, well, maybe there's another side to this. Or maybe this is just a lie. Yeah. The other thing that concerns me, and, you know, I think, again, referring to your age, people your age, you're not political in the way that, say, students were back in the 70s and in the 60s and stuff like that. Or have I got it wrong? I think there's a certain group of people who would be, but not... I suppose not as much as it would have been back in back in those days, no. Mm. Where students would protest yeah. on political issues and uh, on... I suppose it takes a big issue now to get people out. I know there was big protests over student accommodation mm. back last year and things like that, but it really only does come to issues that affect students. It's not like they protest over mm. something in the world that would have happened like back yeah. in the 70s or whatever. Because what's worrying me is that rather than protest about it, you know, young people are just taken to the aeroplanes and they're going away. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, it looks a lot like that at the moment. But I suppose there's also a sense in, you know, you can protest all you want, but what what's it going to do, really? Yes. And is that the general feeling out there, that you'd be wasting your time? How can you change things? I think so. I think yeah. so. I mean, look, people do say, oh, the government needs to do this, th- this, that and the other, but how, like, how do you get them to do that? I, I don't know. Tell me about your short form documentary. Tell me about the content and what can we expect? Because we're going to hear it uh, very soon. Tell me about this. Yeah, so I went to Nakanawali Resource Centre in Tip Town, which is near where I live. Uh, and I spoke to four women about their stories of moving to Ireland, what brought them here, what challenges they faced. So I spoke to a lady from Ukraine, like I said, the Solomon Islands, uh, Romania and Syria. Mm. So there's before the four women talking to me and... I'll kind of give little links in between as well. Right, and we're going to have a listen to it right now. Did Were you surprised by any of what you heard? Um, yes and no. I mean, it was nice to hear the this personal side behind it. And it was always it's always eye-opening when people say, you know, oh, we came here and we found this community that we didn't know was out there. And, and you know, when you live in a place, like I'm, I'm from Tiptown, I've lived there for 
well, most of my life, not mm. all of it, but most of it. And you, you see the bad sides, but you don't think, oh yeah, people do come here and make a life and are happy here. We tend to focus on all oh, the stories of the traffic and the shops closing down yes, and the dereliction. Yeah. But it's nice to have your eyes opened, even myself, from people who say, oh yeah, it's we came, we found this community and all these friends and things mm. like that. All right, let's have a listen to this then. This is a, a Tipperary Town, Knock and Raleigh Resource Centre, which have been they've been doing tremendous work there yep. for, so, for so many years as well. Katie, it's great to see you and we wish you the very best uh, with your career going forward Thanks, as well. Thank you. Um, this is Katie. My name is Carmen. I'm from Romania. My name is Katerina and I'm from Ukraine. Hello, my name is Betty and I am from the Solomon Islands. I am Nada. I am from Syria. It's a long way to Tipperary, but for these women who have made the premiere their home, it was a journey worth making. Amid wars, financial struggle and unrest, Tipperary has offered a welcoming place for people to rebuild their lives. I met four women at Tip Town's Knock and Raleigh Resource Centre to find out what struggles they've encountered and how the centre has helped them integrate into Irish society. The centre receives funding under the Social Inclusion and Community Activation, or SICAP, programme to support new communities as well as disadvantaged ones. Katerina from Ukraine told me about her experience fleeing from her home following Russia's invasion. So we didn't plan on moving to Ireland or any other country, but it's happened uh, that we had to leave our hometown in Ukraine after the war started. Therefore, we arrived in Ireland in a state of shock. In Ukraine, we say it's like my, our mind in, in the fog. It's terrible. And we uh, were confused, didn't know what uh, awaits us and how to live on. When we got off uh, the ferry, we were greeted by people with smile on, on their faces. It was so nice. Uh, there in the port, we were issued all the necessary documents and uh, offered us uh, accommodation in a good hotel. We were very, uh, we were very uh, pleasantly surprised and it was very important for us to feel this care and this support. We are the refugees and the Irish, uh, realizing this, tried to help us uh, in everything. Uh, the people who helped us and still help us are amazing. We will be grateful to all Irish people for this all our life. Nada from Syria also had to flee her home due to the outbreak of war. It was a difficult decision because of changing life from one to another, going toward this unknown future. It was not easy because language to adapting and building social relationships. Betty from the Solomon Islands found herself making tip her home after meeting and falling in love with an Irish man. Uh, it was a huge change for me, moving from a third world country to one of the richest countries in the world. Modern technology is getting to my country, but most of the people, including my family, they still don't have electricity or mobile phones. and they still go fishing and hunting for food it's all fresh food eat today and tomorrow they'll go out looking for more food carmen from romania moved here after her husband got a job in tipperary i had very interesting this experience in ireland because uh, the people were um, 
very welcoming for me. <laughs> yes. And because I'm starting to uh, understand uh, Irish culture, very interesting. Of course, leaving your home for any reason is difficult, but couple that with having to flee from an invasion makes it all the more daunting. It's very hard and um, I, ca I can't say that it has become much easier now. We have to start our life from the scratch. In new conditions in another country, I'm so missing my home, my parents, my friends and my usual life. It's really very hard, but still I think we are very lucky. We are surrounded by wonderful people who help us a lot of in everything. We now live in very good conditions, uh, for, for which I thank uh, the owners of uh, our apartment in Tipperary. And before that we lived in a farm near the Tipperary, I also want to say a huge thanks, thank uh, to these people for creating the most comfortable uh, conditions for, for us. We are really uh, very grateful for it. We are trying to bring our emotional uh, state back to normal now. I think we need some time to adapt. No matter what led to these women making a home in Tip, people were central in helping them settle in. I have been living in Tipperary town for 14 years now and I have no bad words to say at all about the people of this town. They have been so good to me and they made me feel comfortable to live in this town and I am so grateful and I'll always be grateful for this opportunity that I have to be able to be part of this community. Uh, everyone uh, was uh, always helping. Uh, there was difficulty uh, waiting uh, in the reception to get a house because they're in uh, no private uh, life or stability. It was uh, easy because um, I wasn't alone. I'm with, uh, here with my husband. Uh, the only thing I can say that it's a pretty small town in Tipperary here live. My husband lived here uh, five years, worked here, and now together, easy. It uh, happened easy and fast uh, enough. Tipperary is very uh, com compact and uh, cozy city. It has everything you need. Everything is close by you, can, can walk. For us, it's very important because we don't have a car yet. But the most important thing uh, that allowed uh, us to quickly adapt uh, in this city is the people we met here. Even though these women have made Tip Town their home, what differences are there between Tip and their home countries? What difference I like the most is that um, everything in Ireland starts working from 9 o'clock <laughs> and, uh, and later. Schools, kindergarten, shops. In Ukraine it's uh, 8 o'clock. Um, I just don't like, um, I hate, I, I can't <laughs> get up um, very early. Cold weather and language area, sunny and uh, summer. The differences between my country and Ireland are forms of transport. In Ireland, we have lots of buses, cars, trains. In my country, there are very few cars and only the rich people have cars. 
my family walk everywhere they go. I know that people in Ireland walk as well. And my family paddle a canoe from one island to the next. They go hunting and fishing for food. They cook on open fire. They have kerosene lamps at night time. Their medicine is the bark of a tree or roots or leaves. And we build our houses with sago palm leaves and bamboos. First of all, the main difference is on the food. <laughs> the food side and the second is this weather. All time rain is very different from <laughs> Romania because always rain. So what helped all these ladies to settle into their new town and community? Coming to Nokonroli Resource Centre was a great help with me to settle in Tiberi Town. I brought my children to a parents, baby and toddler group with Helen Buckley. And I also joined a parents support group. And that's where I met the friends that I have now. And I'm still meeting new friends. My first support was my husband. After my priority was to learn this English in Italy here. And the super support was Teresa here. Good lady. I would say not what, but who. Zaya, mm, Teresa. Anna, Polish woman who helped us, uh, Galina, Ukrainian woman. Friends, uh, neighbors, and uh, my brother in uh, Nicole Rolly uh, with the group uh, helped me uh, through uh, learning and uh, uh, building uh, skills. And that's Katie O'Donovan's piece from uh, Tipperary Town's Knock and Rolly Resource Centre. It's a, it's a great piece and most interesting uh, listening. There should be more of that for us to get an understanding, I suppose, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I do think so. I think, like I said, we're, we're too quick to judge and say, oh, but should these people want to come here? They want to be here. And people will make awful comments about them, but don't realise there is people behind them and they do have feelings and just like the rest of us, really. Mm. Were they welcoming to you? Um, oh, very much were so. Were they? Yeah. And, and you had no problem getting them to chat to you? Or? No, not at all. I mean, look, there were some people, I suppose, who didn't want to talk. Mm. And that's fine. I mean, anyone would be nervous about being on radio. It's it's mm. a natural thing for many people. So that's, you know, it's a natural thing, I think. So, But I'm just glad with the ladies who did speak to me, and I'm, I'm very thankful to all of them. Very good. You wanted to say thanks to people in particular, didn't you? Yeah, so just a big thanks to Theresa Normoyle. She is the PSYCAP worker there. She put me in touch with all these ladies and we set up interviews and, and chats and that. And of course, thank you to Betty, to Carmen, to Nada and to Katrina for talking to me as well. Very good indeed. So what now, Katie? What uh, will you do? Um, well, I have a job lined up, so I'll be starting there on Monday. So very good. I won't have much time to, to relax now after I finish up here. <laughs> right, very good uh, indeed. But you enjoyed your experience in radio. and uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, loved it. Learned yeah. so much and it was great to be it's great to learn by doing rather than sitting in the class and being told, this is how you do it. Right. You okay. learn by actually doing it, which is very helpful. I'm sure it was. There's a whole other aspect to you. When you came here first, Pat Murphy told me, oh, Katie, she knows about cars. <laughs> um, and as you know, Pat and myself, we're, we're big fans of motor cars. But uh, wh- where did all of that come from? I mean, you were able to repair your car. And look well, out. I'm learning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think, again, I was just always interested in when I was small. I used to have a big bag of toy cars when I was little. So Tomboy. Uh, yes and no. Yeah. I was a kind of tomboy but a girly girl at the same time. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, no, I have a, a 93 Mazda MX-5 that I'm working on at the moment, so Lovely that's car. my passion project for the moment. Is it indeed? And what, you're, you're restoring it uh, yourself? Yeah, then? pretty much. So I bought it uh, a year ago in December and it needed a bit of rust repair and brakes and servicing and all the rest of it. So did that, had it on the road for kind of end of the summer last year. So hopefully to get it on the road now, maybe the spring this year, get to enjoy it a bit more and fix things as they come up. <laughs> Great indeed. I can't imagine you all covered in oil or something like that. Ah, no, it happens, it happens. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Katie, it was great to see you today and uh, great to have you for the last uh, five months as well. Thank you, friend. Thanks very much. If people want to hear that back, by the way, will that be made available to the public? Yeah, I mean, if you want to podcast on the website, that's no problem by me. I'm happy for people to hear it. All right, okay. Thanks very much indeed, Katie, and we wish you well. That's Katie O'Donovan, graduate uh, journalist, and she's been with us here as part of that Learning Waves Journalism graduate programme as well. that uh, particular short documentary there on diversity in Tipperary. That's about it uh, from me, uh, but uh, don't forget, of course, at any time at all, you can email us, and that's tiptoday at tipfm.com. Emma produced Ellie, looked after our content today. Stephen is on the way with the time tunnel, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye now. Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.